Have you ever boarded a plane and thought to yourself, I hope the pilot is a transgender refugee? Have you ever gone to the emergency room and said, I hope my medical team is incredibly diverse? Have you ever moved to a new city and said, I hope the police department hit its equity goals for the year? If your answer to these questions was no, if you just wanted the most qualified candidates for the job, then you are normal. But we have a lot of very not normal people running America these days. Left-wing politicians believe skin color or gender identity should determine who gets the job. Democrats used to care about the middle class. Now they just care about your race and your gender. And as long as Democrats stay in power, it will just keep getting worse. Stop the bigotry. Stop the insanity. Okay, people, let's begin. Lift off! We have lift off. Ground control to Jeremy Siegel. Come in, Jeremy Siegel. Hello, Andrew. Jeremy Siegel. Mr. Marcus. Are you ready to be baited? I am. With the truth? Yes. Good. And you're in the right place. You're hosting the Truth Bait Podcast. Co-hosting. Co-hosting. This is episode four, Jeremy. Are you excited, episode four? It's unbelievable. I'm very excited. I'm Andrew Marcus. Yes, co-hosting with Jeremy Siegel. Jeremy Siegel, uh, documentary filmmaker, guerrilla journalist, rebel pundit, Jeremy Siegel. Andrew Marcus. Hold on Brilliant. a second. I blew it again. Oh, I'm so sad. Okay, let me say that this again. Is two opens I'm, in a row. Yeah, no, no, no. Hold on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this right. Filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, guerrilla journalist, rebel pundit, Jeremy Siegel. Yes, that's better. I'm so sorry for you to have been met with a wall of silence there, two episodes in a row. I'm, no, it's I'm, okay. I, I'm getting better in other ways. I now still that, have to improve my uh, ability to hit the button with my finger. Now that applause got me in the mood. I think it's going to get my energy level up. Oh, wait, what will this do? Is that helpful? No, that's okay. scary. Andrew All right, Marcus, well. also brilliant documentary filmmaker, producer, content creator, deep thinker. It doesn't even sound like you're reading that. That was pretty cool. Nope. That all came out of my head. Did I, I mention did. that it's Friday, March 3rd, 2023? I might have missed the date. Oh, you got it in there now. It is. Friday, March 3rd, 2023. This is episode four. We air every Tuesday and Friday without fail. To the best of our ability. Had you heard that uh, that cold open before? No, I was just going to ask you, what what was that? It, I was thinking on my way to, to record this morning that I really wish I had like a co-host that wasn't just a white man that was actually <laughs> some sort of trans robotic or art, artificial intelligent artificially intelligent 
Nope, I uh, am black I am, seahorse or something. Like no, that. I'm solidly. I'm apparently solidly right in the oppressor class. So we are not gonna. We're not. Our ESG points are going to be down. Uh, we could oppress something each to bring other. to the table. We could oppress each other while we record the show. Uh, that was from Citizens for Sanity. I'd never heard of that group before. Have you ever heard of them? No, yeah, sounds a, awfully sane, though. Well, it's an interesting group. I, I I know very little about them. I went to their website to check them out, and it, it seems actually a little bit, I, I want to say shady. You know, not shady. It's just, it looks like it may be just one of these fundraising groups, and then they produce an ad, and then they raise more money uh, based on the ad. Let's put it this way. This is their most recent release. And I couldn't find it on their website. They don't have it there. The only place they have it is they, they released it on Twitter. So they seem to be divorced from or neglecting their own website, I suppose. I, that, I don't know, that seemed to be like the kind of thing you might see in an organization that is just raising money. Um, but uh, I thought that was a very clever ad. It's very slick. Uh, you should go look for it on Twitter uh, and see it because the graphics are really cool. And yeah, it makes a great point. It's an excellent they're point. They're from Florida, it looks like. Interesting. But uh yeah, no, I haven't thought like I haven't thought about that lately. I have thought about I don't want my pilots to be vaccinated and stuff like that. Absolutely. But at least you have to have uh, the 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 possibility of the pilot and the co-pilot stroking out at the same time. Yeah. That's but not I don't really care what color or sex they are as long as they're competent maybe they vaxxed all the pilots so that when planes start falling out of the air they're able to move us to fly by wire we'll all be demanding it we won't want a pilot in there maybe it's a push for the flying cars (laughs) okay (laughs) so what do you have today we got a we have a lot on tap today don't we a lot. I, should, a we, should we tell everybody some of the things we're going to talk about? Okay. I had, Go I for had it. heard uh, sometimes people like to hear that up front, and I have a few things on my list. Uh, one is, I don't know if anybody heard about it, but it was big story, Day of Hate. I have some wait, information. Wait, 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 wait. You got to do it like this, and I wish we had music for this. You have to say, coming up today, we have Day of Hate. All right. Cold on. War Three update. You got to do it in like a high energy broadcast voice. Okay. Coming up today, we have Day of Hate, Cold War 3, Senate hearings, a vaccine for your brain by Google. Uh, We have some auto show news, a Bill Maher update, and woke madness. How was that? (laughs) No, you got to, here's how you do woke madness. Woke Madness! I don't have that sound effect. That's right. It's exciting stuff. We have exciting stuff coming up for you today. Sounds like a BBC type. This is the news, Jeremy. That's right. That's perfect. Because we're also going to be listening to clips from William Kelly. William Kelly was the only journalist in the room... Squaring down, facing down, squaring off, that's what I meant to say, with Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, who just lost her election for mayor. So we're going to hear some clips from that later on. That is absolutely the most entertaining thing you could possibly hear today. (laughs) 
All right. Well, there we go. I think they were clapping because Lori Lightfoot lost. Were you clapping about that this uh, week? <laughs> I was, she was your mayor. I'm actually a little bit sad to hear about that. I'll, I'll tell you why. I, I assume we're going to talk about her Let's later. Let's talk about so. that later. Did you hear of the Day of Hate? By the way, the Day of Hate, this is, I'm nominating this right off the bat. Distraction of the Week. Oh, you haven't even heard it yet, but I'll take it. I can tell you right now. I, I know a little bit about this, and I can tell you it is the distraction of the week. Were you out hating? <laughs> I was at home quivering in fear. Uh, this was a big deal last week, and and I think that uh, why it's relevant today, we'll see in a moment. But uh, if you hadn't heard of the Day of Hate, here's a little bit about it from New York. Law enforcement and Jewish organizations across the country on high alert after a neo-Nazi group proclaimed tomorrow to be a national day of hate. Fox Live's Antoine Lewis joins us live outside the 19th precinct on the Upper East Side. Antoine, do police have a plan for this? Well, one of the concerns, of course, are houses of worship. But as we all know, hate isn't only directed and targeted at those entities. The NYPD and area law enforcement agencies say they are beefing up safety efforts after chatter online that tomorrow, Saturday, is being declared a day of hate, which has many feeling like they are targets. So, day of hate, big day of hate. This is... This was national, okay? Gary Marshutes is chief of police in Livingston, New Jersey. This day actually falls on the, the Sabbath. So uh, we will have extra patrols, uh, marked and unmarked uh, police units out there. And believe me, uh, we take it very serious. We stay vigilant. We want our uh, community to stay vigilant as well and report any instances of uh, that uh, seem suspicious to us right away. It was high alert, and the same thing was going on uh, in Chicago. Now, high alert in the U.S. Neo-Nazi. And- oh, sorry, that's a, this is actually international. This is Israel news. I-24, it's called. And they had... This was a day global of day of hate? Well, it was evidently global news. It was newsworthy that this was uh, about a week ago, last Saturday, uh High alert. Police were on high alert. That was in New York. They were also there was a newscast in Chicago. Same thing. I also saw print articles in almost every major city, Madison, Indianapolis, Ohio, all over the country that there was but nothing had a specific threat. Now, high alert in the U.S. Neo-Nazi and white supremacist groups are planning to hold a national day of hate against Jews across America. As Jewish groups urge vigilance and police step up security measures. The hate groups have called to on members uh, rather to distribute anti-Semitic stickers and flyers and banners to, quote, expose the international clique of a parasitic uh, vermin that uh, infest our nation today, end quote. So... Jeremy, real quick question. Is this why the Goyim Defense League was out? It's. I actually checked on that because I thought, huh, maybe that's what that was about. And we played a it, clip from the Goyim Defense League uh, on Tuesday's show. So go right. listen to Tuesday's show and, and you'll hear what we played from them. But I found the Goyim Defense League's actions were before this. They were trying to get the jump on it. (laughs) And maybe maybe that's why they were out. Maybe they wanted to get that imagery into the 
news or something so people could use stills or video of people acting like crazy Nazis in the street. The Goyim really- Defense League is, uh, is, is j- just by real quick way of background, is a, a an alleged anti-Semitic group. We think it's an astroturfed anti-Semitic group being run as an op, but uh, it went viral uh, earlier in the week. Here's a little more. We have the largest. This is uh, Eric Adams in New York. Jewish population outside of Tel Aviv. Did he just call Jews we like fat? We call ourselves a Tel Aviv of America. <laughs> and when you come out and really cross-pollinate with ideas and culture, that's the beauty and that's the symbol of New York City. And I'm excited about the tomorrows and I'm excited about today's. And we send a message out there that this is not a place where hate lives. Okay, so by the way, did you hear that cross-pollinate? Yes. I think cross-pollinate is like the new holistic. That's what everybody on the left was calling everything they thought was intelligent for a while. It was some some sort of holistic solution, and now we're cross-pollinating. That's like a new sophisticated way to be a woke weirdo. Hmm. Uh, but anyways, it sounds like I, a way of breeding the Jews out of existence. Just my. You know. <laughs> so Eric Adams was out there, obviously spreading uh, the fear, but talking about the the beauty still that we have in the nation. But I thought this was uh, the real kicker from the Israel news. And before we let you go briefly, if, if you may, uh, Mr. Pomerantz, is the U.S. no longer safe for Jews? You know, between the United States has never been safe in the sense that you could be complacent. Israel isn't safe in the sense that you can be complacent. I'd say that on the whole, the United States is one of the safest countries for Jews, not only in the world, but in history. However, that can change. And Germany was especially on the day of hate. So that's that is shameful. That, is that was somebody. Shameful. That was somebody from a group called Reality Check uh, that I think is based in Israel, uh, and they talk about uh, you know fighting anti-Semitism and stuff like that. Which is you know that's okay. I'm not opposed to yeah, but to fighting real is, anti-Semitism. America is so safe for Jews, Jeremy, that most Jewish kids growing up don't ever give it a second thought. It's a rude awakening when you get old enough and come of age and realize that there is still anti-Semitism here. I never, I never thought about it growing up. I mean, it, I thought we thought about it a little bit because we learned about the Holocaust and we learned about anti-Semitism, but it wasn't. I mean, it was so, so far removed from daily life. It, I mean, it wasn't something to, to worry about. How was it where you grew up? I don't know. I, it I never was, dealt with it, it. It was a non-issue. You know, in part, I'm sure partly that was because uh, parents didn't convey it to the children. They were able to shield it from the children if they encountered it. But that's just a sign of how little they encountered it. Because if it was pervasive, no parent could shield that from their kid. No, but, and I don't know, Mike. I grew up in a community that was like 95% Jewish and every now and then there was like one of the kids who wasn't Jewish I uh, would they you know they might start throwing some anti-semitic slander around that did happen I'm not going to yeah, say it never happened kids, but I thought that was almost that cuz they were young kids and they right. were really the outcasts they really didn't because they didn't fit into the community yeah. as much and kids I think that was just them acting anyway. out it wasn't like 
you know, the day of rage and we have a where the nation is on high alert. Anyways, I started looking around at this this morning. And did you see all the headlines about after the day of hate? <laughs> How is there possibly a headline after a day where nothing happened? Yeah, that's basically what it was. Nothing happened. And that's what the headlines said. Uh, here's one from the Jewish Telegraphic Agency. Planned day of hate against Jews passes by with packed synagogues and no violence. <laughs> it's, it is completely astroturfed nonsense, Jeremy. And do you know how I knew that this was the distraction of uh, one of the distractions of the week? Uh, because I, I've seen this in my email. And I've seen interesting things about this in my email, Jeremy. Somebody sent me an email from the Jewish United Fund. When white supremacists and neo-Nazis called for a national day of hate on February 25th, JUF was at the ready. Over the last year, we have significantly scaled up our security operations to enhance our expertise, capacity, and connections. Our robust security team connected with every level of law enforcement to assess and monitor the threat. We reached out to synagogues and Jewish schools to help ensure that they could meet safely. We stepped up so members of our local community could celebrate Shabbat or simply go about their lives. Secure in the knowledge that JUF had their backs. Giving to JUF is what makes this possible. Uh. There it is. <laughs> it's because of this community support that JUF has been able to build such a significant security operation with such deep and broad, uh, broad capacity. Now, look, don't get me wrong. They do plenty to secure the Jewish community. But this read to me like total BS. If it was such a dramatic threat, there wouldn't be they wouldn't be helping people meet in public successfully. They would be closing the venues down. This was bogus they turned this it into was, a fundraiser instantly this was a newsweek this was in rolling stone i mean this was i mean it really was i mean this is total made up i mean i there's no where do you do you think there was any real threat yeah but check this out did you hear the first line of that when white supremacists and neo-nazis called for a national day of hate now let me read you the follow-up email that i was sent from the Jewish United Fund. Day of Hate. In response to a call by white supremacists, uh, uh, we did, you know, I'm going to paraphrase, we did everything we could. And then they said, let's see, judicial reform in Israel, JUF's national umbrella body. Wait, no, that's oh, anti, anti-Israel harassment at University of Chicago. So they've set up the Day of Hate is this uh, white nationalist neo-Nazi movement. And then in their very next email, I, I assume this was their next email, anti-Israel harassment at University of Chicago, an extended campaign targeting Israel, Israel studies program professor uh, Meyer Elron escalated this past month, resulting in harassment from both him and of, uh, of both him and Jewish students. On February 2nd, Students for Justice in Palestine, University of Chicago, hosted a protest outside the lecture hall where Professor Elrand teaches. They disrupted passing students and confronted both the dean on call and a Jewish student leader, whom they both named and shamed on their social media to thousands of followers by posting their names and photos and videos online. 
The university has been responsive in removing the flyers and holding back disruptors. How about expelling them? However, the ongoing identity-based harassment of Professor Elrond is escalating. So, yeah, uh, your day of hate, you claim, that never happened, was white nationalist and neo-Nazi. It was the right, the extreme right. But in reality, you've got Jewish students, Jewish kids. By the way, this is where they get their awakening. And the anti-Semitism that makes it unsafe in America is coming from the left and their associations with Hamas and Islamic uh, Islamic Association of Palestine. So, yeah, I guess it is a good question. Is America safe for Jews? Not while the left has control, that's for sure. This was BS, the and the real CIA problem is does. not... What's that? Not while the CIA has control. I, this was meant to whip up Jewish support as a, as a victimized class uh, to raise money and secure votes, I'm sure. That's why they tie it into the right. I think it's to get people talking more about anti-Semitism and and just the if they do this every year or every few months or that Goyim Defense League comes out with a stunt every now and then, it continually plants the seed in people's mind that this is a big problem that we need to look out for. And yes, I agree. They spin it as something that's coming from the white conservatives in this country i'm going to go out on a whim here and just uh offer up that i think this probably originated from somewhere inside langley <laughs> yeah i think i think you're okay. right i think that this uh this who goes out and calls for a national day of hate i mean do, do the do the anti-semitic that's people a left that are move. really that's a total the, left move that's total left-wing language the people that are actually anti-semitic that hate jews if they were going out and calling for a rally they would be calling for some rally to cleanse america or you know clean up this country from the vicious jews but they're not going to advertise it as hatred i like that you know how to market those well i've heard (laughs) actual anti-semitism before uh, and I don't think this is it. Yeah, here's more. I mean, here, it, wait, it here's, actually here's more is actual, it in a way. Here's more actual anti-Semitism from the same J, JUF uh, uh, mailer. Uh, Anti-Israel organizing at Loyola University, a coalition of uh, social uh, students for justice and peace, the Palestinian group, uh, loyal dissenters, and the Student Government Justice Committee. So the, 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 it's not just the Palestinian group, it's also now other student, uh, the, the student body, are harassing an environmental student organization that had been planning to collaborate on an event with the Loyola Israel Student Alliance. So j- more anti-Semitism that has absolutely nothing to do with the right is 100% enabled by the left. So here's what I think the real purpose then of this is. The real purpose here, because this happens a lot with many different things and with the black community also. So there is actual real anti-Semitism going on. There's boycott, divest, sanction movement against Israel, BDS movement, and real intent to do harm to Jewish communities or Jewish people or country of Israel. And... It happens to black people all the time or the black community in this country where there is actual racism out there. There is actual institutional racism out there. But the actual institutional, the actual racism that they're always crying about 
isn't the real racism. And then you, you know, knowing that you're not a racist, say there is no racism, but there is somewhere and it's usually coming from the people in control. And here, like you say, with with Loyola and with these universities, there is anti-Semitism. But we have to let these types of things bubble out basically to cover up the legitimate claims that do exist and the legitimate claims that should provoke some type of response. Yeah, but here you have the Jewish United Fund of Chicago, the largest uh, Jewish group in Chicago and and, uh, maybe uh, most of the U.S. playing along for to raise money off of it. Sure. To 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 excite their community. Which is typical of nonprofit organizations, you know, to begin with, because if the problem doesn't exist, then they don't need to either. So as long as we have, the yeah, but they have a lot problem, of other. They have, have a, a reason to raise money. That organization has a lot of other functions besides security. They have they serve the community in so many ways. They don't need to do this to raise their money. They well, don't. Maybe they, this is. Maybe, Maybe they do need to. Maybe their funders told them they need to. Well, I think some of them do, but they have a pretty diverse funding base. I, I think they're, I think they're, they're maybe they're co-opted. I don't know. This is. It looks bad though. Anyway, yeah, good distraction. Good story. I like it. Yeah, I love how it was high alert. High alert. No specific threat. High alert. Oh, by the way, nothing happened. But lots of headlines about it. You know who did get a specific threat? Who? <laughs> Elon Musk. Did really? you see he was threatened by the CCP? But not really threatened. Oh, it was a very tacit threat. They're very. It's very interesting the way they do it. Let me hear your take because I saw it, but I was yeah, I was kind of perplexed. All right. Well, this comes from a CNBC report in China. Oh, well, the reminder today was directed towards Elon Musk. Uh, the Tesla founder had been uh, retweeting posts uh, promoting the uh, theory that coronavirus originated from a Wuhan lab. Well, the issue is very sensitive here in China. And so the Communist Party paper, The Global Times, warned on its social media site uh, that he could be breaking the pot of China. Uh, this is a Chinese saying that's similar to biting the hand that feeds you. I I think it's I think it's I think it's theater Jeremy it's theater I think that means I think the CCP does not care if Elon Musk is tweeting about the lab leak they just need to act like they care and then now he's going to act like he's kowtowing it's performance art it's political performance art they need each other Musk and G need each other, Jeremy. I feel like this is when we look at Elon Musk and we talked about him a couple episodes ago um, in relation to what his plans are with Twitter. And I, for a long time, have wondered what his deal is, because I think he's a globalist. But he comes out now as a champion of free speech and appearing at least trying to convey the perception that he's getting rid of censorship on twitter which i don't think he is um yeah but you realize that he and china need each other right (laughs) they're tied at the hip musk is buying all of their all their uh rare earth elements for his batteries 
So he needs them. They need to sell those elements, and he's probably one of their biggest buyers. Sure. So I think you're right. I think it's theater because I think that what this does, if you look around conservative media, pretty much Elon Musk is becoming a champion for them now. And and any time he kind of says something that seems to be on that right side of thinking or correct, really correct way of thinking about many issues, he's kind of a new superhero. And my position is that's an act and he's they're trying to rally conservatives behind him and this would be another way to reinforce that view because for at least a half a year we were prohibited from the from suggesting the possibility that covid came from a lab and then it became okay and now all of a sudden it's controversial again to say it i don't know why but here now he says it and he gets a little spank a little public spanking from china and you know who's gonna go rah 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 well and it makes you know think about this also for the domestic audience in china it's the ccp saying you know performing for their audience that they are in control and that elon musk will behave himself because they told him to this is this is very much That's i think more point. for their audience than for our audience but do you want to know how how much theater there is going on around China. So we are basically, you know, I like to call it uh, the Cold War Three. the first Cold War being between the United States and the Soviets, the second Cold War being currently going on in the United States between, uh, sometimes it's uh, defined as left and right. I think it's really more of a class issue. Uh, and then the third Cold War between the United States and China. And it's very confusing because this Cold War, and you and I have talked about this before, that, that this Cold War is going to be contrived. And it's going to, because of that, it's going to be a very weird Cold War. Listen to the second half of this report. Now, this warning comes as Chinese officials, uh, both on a, a high level as well as um, on a lower level of the government, are really pulling out all the stops to try to attract U.S. investment into China. What? <laughs> I thought that we were heading towards ever increasing tensions, but they're they're now making the charm offensive, and 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 I think I understand why. Here, let's play a little more. Uh, the directive has come all the way from the top, from President Xi Jinping, who has been saying that there should be greater effort to uh, attract more and welcome uh, more foreign capital as well as foreign investment. On a local level, officials have been eagerly uh, trying to reach out to international companies, uh, touting how they're relaunching uh, several events around the region and dispatching delegations, uh, prioritizing trade shows in the U.S. and Europe. Cities also, including Shanghai, have announced that they're going to be having a foreign talent recruitment drives. So I think really the way that you need to look at that is translate all of that into they are extending the uh, pot of gold to bribe as many people in the West as possible to undermine the United States government's position as it enters into the Cold War with China. That's that's my take on it. Interesting. It It is, on one hand, they are absolutely lining up with Russia. They are saber rattling that they're going to be giving uh, arms, offensive arms to Russia to fight in Ukraine. And at the same time, they're wooing the very people who are on the exact opposite of that issue. 
it can, in my mind, it's bribery. It's, it is looking to divorce corporate America and corrupt leadership in America from a, uh, an actual confrontation, a movement to confront China. Yeah, I could see that. And kind of try to split or create a wedge between the corporate uh, interests and the government interests. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, so. I, yeah, I think so. It, uh, it'll be interesting to watch what, what Musk does. I bet he does not tweet anymore about the lab leak because he's, you know, he's going to keep up his end of the act. We'll see. We'll have to watch. He might, though, just so they can keep reinforcing that he's on uh, that he's not on the side of uh, yeah those in power. But it makes know, China look weak, though. If they warned him and he does not behave now, it makes the CCP look weak. Yeah, that's true. And he has way too much invested in China to ever let let that actually be jeopardized. Anyway, okay, well, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. you know what else we saw? I saw. <laughs> I once again, Jeremy, I've sacrificed for the for the Truth Bait podcast audience and you. Are, thank and you. I, yeah, yeah. I watched well large chunks of the Senate Judiciary Oversight Committee, uh, where Attorney General Merrick Garland was appearing. Did you Did you see any of that? A lot of some of it went very viral. I just saw a couple of headlines of it. Uh, what do you see? This is the good click on it. I knew that you were. When you watch those hearings, do you watch like in a home theater on a big screen? Do you have popcorn? <laughs> so it's really immersive. Or you, yeah, or do you just <laughs> no. sit at your computer? I sit and at watch? my computer and I uh, and I will fast forward through parts. I've gotten good at, at skipping through. You know the where there's nothing going on. Uh, so I'm moving as quickly as I possibly can. So this is like actual real work that you're doing then. Oh, it's, it's painful labor, Jeremy. You, you go ahead. And I, by the way, my hat's off in respect to uh, report journalists and reporters who sit in these hearings all day long. I don't know how you make it. I, I literally have dozed off while listening to a hearing at time and a half. So it's, it's even, you know, it's high energy. It's coming at me fast. I'm listening as hard as I can. And then I realize I've dozed off. You might need to slow down because it would keep you on the edge of your seat. Oh, uh, no, <laughs> no, because well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, thank you. There's a lot of this. Thank you for doing that kind of work. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of very elderly people no. trying to figure out what to say. I just want to thank you for uh, doing it for us. You are so welcome. We don't have to. Yeah. So let's welcome. hear it. Wait, no. So I want to hear what what headlines, what themes did you hear coming out of it? Because this is a really good baseline to determine, you know, what what was viral. You'll confirm what I think was viral, and then I'll tell you what I think was actually newsworthy. Oh, I don't even know. I don't. I it, it skipped right past me. It skipped right past me. You I really saw are leaning on Ma- my uh, sacrifice. I saw, some, <laughs> I saw some stuff with uh, Merrick Garland coming out. Yes, that's right. And people were sort of talking about, you know, it was like headlines that make him look stupid and like they busted him or, you know. Yes, that's that he right. You had outrage. Right. Yeah. So, you know, uh, there are probably two or three elements of it that became clickbait viral moments. And I don't want to, I think that there's value in those clickbait viral moments. 
there is some value in the outrage, but I think we should delve into exactly what that value is. But first, let's go ahead and play some of the some of the. There was I, I, one I saw, like he just stutters a lot, like picking on him for stuttering and repeating himself. Not oh, I didn't any uh, sense. Yeah, and, no, I don't. I don't have any of that. I didn't actually pick up on that. I, I, okay. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a you know I, there are little bits and pieces of you know just weird personal not towards him but just like bickering back and forth that doesn't actually have any substantive point. Actually, what I should do is clip all those together and run those because that's what's really going on. But here I'll give you a little bit of the the red meat that went around. This is uh, Senator Josh Hawley uh, dialing up the outrage over pro life demonstrators who were you remember this story about the guy who was. Uh, you know, he's a anti-abortion activist. He's on the sidewalk, sort of down the street from an abortion clinic. And one of the abortion clinic volunteers comes out and confronts him and his young son on the sidewalk. And he gets so close to the young son that the, that the father pushed the guy away. And the guy fell down and the feds ended up raiding his house. Yeah. Uh, with like a full riot gear and a SWAT team, essentially. Yeah, that was pretty recently, right? And then he was charged with assault or something and threatened with prison. Right. Yeah. So uh, Josh Hawley uh, uh, took him to task. Let me let me let's go ahead and play this and listen to this. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Attorney General Garland, let, let me just ask you: d- Does your department have a problem with anti-Catholic bias? And, uh, our department um, is. Uh, 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 protects all religions um, and all ideologies. It does not have uh, any uh, bias against any religion of any kind. Well, you could have surprised me. I mean, let's talk about the Mark Haupt case. This is a case where a Catholic pro-life demonstrator, father, was accused of disorderly conduct in front of an abortion center. The local prosecutor, the Philadelphia district attorney, who is a Democrat, a liberal, very progressive, declined to prosecute. There was a private suit that got dismissed. And then after all of that, your Justice Department sent between 20 and 30 armed agents in the early morning hours to the Houck's private residence to arrest this guy after he had offered to turn himself in voluntarily. Let's take a look at the hardened criminals that your Justice Department sent these armed agents to go terrorize on that morning. Here they are. Here they are at mass. Here's the seven children with Mr. Hauk and his wife. In this early morning, they were all at home. Mrs. Hauk has said repeatedly the children were screaming. They feared for their lives. Are you telling me that in your opinion as attorney general, it was objectively necessary to use 20 or 30 SWAT-style agents with long guns and ballistic shields for these people? What I'm saying is that decisions about how to go about this were made on the ground by FBI agents. Which is that you're abdicating responsibility? I'm not abdicating responsibility. Then give me the answer. Is Do you think in your opinion, you are the attorney general of the United States, you are in charge of the Justice Department, and yes, sir, you are responsible. So give me an answer. Yes, sir, you are responsible. You know, so he gets, Holly gets the role of conveying the righteous indignation. And again, don't get me wrong, there's utility to it. There is utility to, to confronting Merrick Garland with this. Uh, but it is not, you know, it's more narrative utility. It's maybe more cathartic utility. Uh, 
nothing's really what, what what's going to come of this nothing that's what i was going to say what's going to happen nothing i mean what are they going are they going to arrest merrick garland no, they gonna, <laughs> exactly. is he going to get is he going to get in trouble they're not even going to impeach him are they going to censure him no this is just red meat for the base you that's did it. something wrong and we're going to pretend we care i mean it's better yeah, than not might really confronting care. him i suppose right i think the point though maybe merrick garland is is being honest maybe it's got nothing to do with the fact that the guy was a Catholic and has a Catholic family. Maybe they just want to instill fear into the American people and show that this could happen to anybody. Well, isn't it interesting that they frame it as Catholic specifically? And uh, because really, it's it, they're not just ta- you're right. They're not just targeting Catholics. It's just an example. They're yeah. targeting everybody who would dissent and right. actually it's- making it about Catholics specifically almost. Uh, you know, blunts the message the deep state is trying to send. It's it, it, it categorizes it as just this one group rather than the wider group that they're actually trying to target. But this might explain why he's framing it in terms of Catholics. And again, I think this is uh, theater. The FBI field office in Richmond on the 23rd of January of this year issued a memorandum in which they advocated for and I quote, the exploration of new avenues for tripwire and source development against traditionalist Catholics, it's their, their language, including those who favor the Latin mass. And I saw the document you have. What did it's you do about appalling. it? It's appalling. I'm in complete agreement with you. I understand that the FBI has withdrawn it and it's now looking into how this could ever have happened. How did it happen? That's what they're looking into. So is the FBI targeting Catholics, or does the establishment want to create the impression that Catholics are under attack, when really the target is much bigger? Yeah, I think it's more like that. I think it's more that they want to appear that they're after Catholics, because what does that do? You know, anybody that's not a Catholic, not anybody, but anybody that's not a Catholic is, you know— have a natural tendency to think, well, I don't have to worry about it. Oh, maybe it others Catholic, Catholics. Right? It others Catholics. Yeah, for sure. So Catholics Definitely. being the largest organized Christian movement in, in the country, am I correct on that? I would say maybe largest organized religious movement in the country. Okay, so if you can isolate them and otherize them, maybe that's just, maybe that's the goal. The, this FBI memo strikes me as astroturf. Who put it out? How did it happen? And, and I don't have the clip, but the, basically Merrick Garland, they, you know, the, well, the FBI is, is looking into that, how, how, how this got written. What do you mean looking into it? You know who wrote it. <laughs> There's no looking into it. You don't need to have an investigation. It, it strikes me as an op. Anyway, now. Yeah, to- I, I, w- I would. I mean, I wouldn't doubt that there was some plan somewhere and some reason or strategy to go after uh, this guy. They could have even pre-planned to go after a Catholic guy because that you know that I mean, there's going to be Christians and there's going to be Catholics out protesting abortion uh, facilities. You know, they're going to be protesting murdering babies any, you know, all the time. It happens all the time. And they could kind of take their pick. I mean, they could go after, they could find some evangelical, you know, to go after. There, I've heard, I have friends that do this. 
they go out and they stand out and they protest and they have people come out of these facilities and get loud and get in confrontations with them. And so this type of thing could bubble up any time. They could really kind of have their uh, any opportunity they want to cherry pick an incident and then target a particular group. Well, so this I, was I would, definitely orchestrated and staged to create the message that they were that they were looking to send. I wonder if this might have been their ham fisted way of communicating to the uh, you know what's that Jane's group the, the 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 group that's been firebombing pro life clinics. Uh, uh, oh yeah, something like, Jane. Like communicating Jane's to, revenge. Jane's, Jane's revenge. revenge. Yeah, communicating to them. You know, hey, we're the feds. We've got this. We're cracking down on them. You know, and then they back channel a message to them that says, you know, hey guys, calm down. We've got this. I can tell you that. I have known FBI agents personally who were far more interested in looking into and pursuing uh, pro-life activists than radical pro-abortion and pro-baby murdering activists. Oh, they don't want to go after them. They're, and in fact, they, they want them to calm down so that the pressure to go after them goes away. Well, anyway, Ted Cruz gets in on the mix too. He, uh, you know, you can't have a hearing like this without him getting his, uh, you know, outrage badge on for people to love. He, and it, you know, he does he does it pretty good. Here we go. Has the Department of Justice enforced this statute? Have you brought a single case against any of these protesters threatening the judgment justices under eighteen U.S.C. Section fifteen oh seven? Have you? So he's talking about the protests that happened outside the homes of Supreme Court justices as the overturning of Roe v. Wade was uh, was coming out. It was after the, the, yeah. the draft uh, opinion was leaked. Right. You brought even one. Senator, you asked me whether I sat on my hands, and quite the opposite. I sent okay, 70 United States Marshals. Let me try again. To and Have let me you, has the Department of Justice brought even a single case under this statute? It's a yes-no question. It's not a give a speech on the other things you did. And what he's, and what he's asking about is the statute specifically makes it illegal to protest or harass a federal judge, and especially a Supreme Court justice, uh, to try and sway their opinion uh, or outcome in a case. The job of the United States Marshals is to defend the lives so of the So the answer is no. It's to defend the lives of the justices, and that's their number one priority. They have Why full- are you unwilling to say no? The answer is no. You know it's no. I know it's no. Everyone in this, in this hearing room knows it's no. You're not willing to answer a question. Have you brought a case under this statute, yes or no? As far as I know, we haven't, and what we have done is defended the lives of the justices with so how 70 do you decide? U.S. Marshals. How do you- the marshals on scene make that determination in light of the priority of defense. Marshals do not make a determination over whether to prosecute you. The attorney general make a determination and you spent 20 years as a judge and you're perfectly content with justices being afraid for their children's lives. The attorney general choose, does not decide whether to how arrest. How did you choose not to, not to enforce this statute? The marshals on scene. Marshals don't make that decision. They do make the decision of whether to make to an prosecute arrest. prosecute someone? No, they don't. If they make a, uh, if they make Marshals an, do not if, have prosecution. If they authority. make an arrest, right, then it goes to the marshals. Let's change topics. So Ted Cruz gets into this really stupid little quagmire narratively where Merrick Garland is saying U.S. Marshals don't prosecute. And then he's saying, you know, only you prosecute. 
It is Merrick Garland is such a coward. If I worked in that department, I would hate this guy because listen to what he did in the in these two interactions. In the first interaction, the uh, going to the home of this Catholic with a SWAT team was not his doing. Those are the local people on the ground, so he throws them under the bus. All right, then you have this. Second instance where he is saying, I'm not the one who's responsible for the fact that there were no charges brought against anybody protesting outside of the justices' homes. It's the U.S. Marshals who are at fault for not arresting anybody. As though the U.S. Marshals are the ones who decide, yeah, we're just not going to arrest anybody for this. We're cool with that. No. (laughs) So Merrick Garland is just throwing everybody under the bus. But, uh, But, Jeremy, let's just keep this all in perspective. Again, on that subject, nothing's going to happen. This is just catharsis. It's just ra- it's rage politics. We're, we're at the rage diner. Yeah, and it's to bring everybody to the show and say, look how we're fighting for the American people, us Republicans, when they're the ones that are there to demoralize us in the end by having nothing happen and continue to make us believe uh, that there's not really much reason to fight, which is what they want. You know, they want people to become lulled to sleep. And, uh, yeah, they want you to think that that something's happening on your behalf when in reality, nothing's happening on your behalf. You want to know what is happening during this hearing? Yeah. They spent very little time talking about it, but I think this was actually the most important part was that both parties are coming together to rewrite Section 230. Section 230, the legislative code that offers social media platforms protection from liability for the content that users post, Jeremy. You know Section 230. Yeah. I mean, nothing good is going to come from these two teaming up. It's like uh, it's like two Batman villains, uh, Joker and Penguin. <laughs> it's like Joker and Penguin teaming up to, to take on the First Amendment. <laughs> what did they... There'll be nothing left. There'll be what nothing did left. they come up with? Did they come up with a, a plan? Well, and the way that they approach this actually made me borderline furious. And I, I, let's see if you pick up on, on why this is outrageous. This, uh, section, this is Dick Durbin. This, uh, section 230 absolves them from uh, civil liability uh, when they broadcast things which harm children, whether it's bullying or harassment or uh, something as basic as this choke challenge, which unfortunately claims the lives of children as well. I think there was a general consensus on this committee, which is saying something, that we need to do something about the social media platforms. And I coincidentally had a meeting uh, just a day or two later with Ann Wiggum from the Drug Enforcement Agency. She described for me the sale on the internet and social media platforms of phony drugs. Uh, Senator Graham made the reference to a person who thought they were buying Percocet and bought fentanyl and died as a result of it. I asked her how common this was. She said, very common. And they have, the sellers even have valet services where they will physically de- deliver boxes of these phony drugs to people at their homes on their porches. This is out of hand. Do you believe that we need to do more to regulate and control the use of social media platforms that are currently exploiting families and children across America? Uh, the cartels that are uh, creating these pills uh, and that are distributing them within the United States 
uh, are, are the most horrid individuals uh, you can imagine. And unfortunately, um, they are doing it on social media, advertising as if they are prescription pills. Ms. Wiggum told me that when they approached the social media and asked for the algorithms so that they can get to the root cause of this death and destruction, these social media platforms plead Section 230 and refuse. What do we do? Yeah, well, I think we do have to do something to force uh, them to provide information to search their own platform for sales of illegal drugs. Um, this is a, I, I tell you, I, may, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think Section 230 has become a suicide pact. We have basically said to these companies, you are absolved from liability, make money, and they're at it in overtime. And deaths result from it, and we have a responsibility. I think the committee really spoke to it. We may see it differently, but on a bipartisan basis. And I've spoken to Senator Graham, and I want to make sure that when we agree, it also is publicized. We both feel very strongly that this committee needs to be a venue to take on this issue. I hope we have your support and the support of the president when we do that. You certainly have our support. Uh, Senator Durbin and Senator Graham are going to uh, fix free speech on social media. Can't wait for that. By the way, did he say fentanyl was a phony drug? He's talking about uh, that that fake pills get put out. People think it's Percocet or other pills, and uh, it ends up having a bunch of fentanyl in it and killing them. Actually, I have a I have a clip. There was. Uh, and I'll play. Let me let me first play uh, Lindsey would it, Graham. Would it, Let, still be, would it still be a problem then if they were able to purchase Percocet and get the Percocet they wanted? Well, here, wait. Let me. I'll play the. It is a problem, but but right now it's cast as though you know if somebody takes a Percocet, okay, they don't know that they're taking fentanyl. So when they die from it, it's called an overdose and. Listen to this. This is a listen to this mother. Uh, I'll play this now with uh, MTG. Marjorie Taylor Greene is is questioning her, is talking to her over on the House side, and it's about uh, fentanyl deaths. And she, this poor woman, has lost two sons to to uh, what she calls fentanyl poisoning. I think that's actually a pretty accurate way of looking at it, given the way fentanyl has made its way into this country. Miss Kiesling, would your sons be alive today if the if our government would secure our southern border? The year Caleb was born, 2000, there were 20,000 drug-related deaths. And the year they died, it was five times as many. And um, I appreciate you using the term fentanyl poisoning because that's what it was. It wasn't an overdose. They had no idea that they were doing anything that could kill them. And it's because fentanyl got into this country. I, I heard this man over here from the Cato Institute, you know, talk about, well, it's because of demand. What I'm hearing him say is they asked for it. What the hell? Seriously? Are you kidding me? We need to protect our children. They didn't ask for that. This wasn't demand. They wanted the fentanyl. They didn't want fentanyl. They thought they were getting Percocets. Okay? He's absolutely clueless. Like, total disconnect from what's happening. Um, you know, and to say, oh, let's just give them strips or let's give them rehab. Well, you know what? My kids got the federal. My son, Caleb, went to federal rehab. It was a flop house. That's a whole other scam we should spend at least an episode on. I don't have anything for it now, but she's absolutely right. I've seen coverage of this where uh, these are uh, rehab mills where uh, they're basically just making money, shuffling people through the program and... 
they're even paying the people who are participating in the program, the, the, the people who are supposed to be detoxing. Oh, so yeah. they I, get an incentive to, to keep going in and out of the program. Yeah. I used to know somebody uh, who was a drug counselor just, you know, on the South side of Chicago and she was a cocaine addict. So that whole system, <laughs> that whole so that's system. How she knew, that's how she met all of her clients in both guess, directions. I mean, was how she knew how to counsel them, I guess, because right. of her own experience. I don't know, but yeah, it's it, that whole system is is ridiculous. But so, do you see how this is shaping up? Let me let me play Lindsey Graham here again, back at the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, fentanyl, fentanyl deaths uh, are more than gun and accident deaths combined in the United States. Did you know that? Yes, sir. I mean, this is, how would you describe the fentanyl problem in America? It's a horrible epidemic, okay. uh, but it's an epidemic that's been unleashed on purpose by the Sinaloa um, and the new generation Jalisco cartels. Okay. Let's just stop and absorb that for a moment. It's a horrible epidemic. It kills more people than car wrecks and gun violence combined. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? Mexican drug cartels, should they be uh, designated foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law? Yeah, I think it's the, the same answer I gave before. They are already uh, designated in any number of ways and sanctioned by the Treasury. Would Department. you oppose some of us trying to make them foreign terrorist organizations? I wouldn't oppose it, but again, um, I, I want to point out their diplomatic concerns. We need the assistance of Mexico in this and designating. Is Mexico helping us effectively with our fentanyl problem? They are helping us, but they could do much more. There's no question about that. Well, if this is helping, I would hate to see what not helping looks like. Well, so the could. bottom line for me is they're not helping, and we need to up our game when it comes to fentanyl. Jeremy, where do you think this is going? What do you think this is about? Because I think there's, I've got my tinfoil hat on, and I, I, I think there's something big happening here. I don't know. He's, he wants to declare fentanyl dealers or drug cartels as terrorist organizations. Why doesn't he declare the CIA who helps them a terrorist organization? Well, no, but let's, let's, why would he want to do that? Why do they want to, and let's, we can see that's what they want to do. This is where this is going. And that's why I think this is actually the big news that came out of this hearing, not the outrage stuff. It's that we are setting up the predicate to bomb Mexico. Whoa. <laughs> you think so? Yes. You know why I think so? I don't, there's no quote. I've been unable to find the any audio on this, but there is an article, and I and I have to I have to pull it up from the archives. Uh, of it's just a, a blurb of uh, of Vivek Ramaswamy saying that we should be bombing the cartels in Mexico. Uh, yeah, I guess that would be something they could do. Well, if I you think- want to create this North American trade zone this north american yeah, say, entity what about the declaration of north america right that, you have to clear that? out the cartels and if you want to clear out the cartels you need to drum up demand in this country to clear out those cartels and how do you do that yeah that's do you a think good this point. mother would sign on right now to bomb mexico herself probably do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, and I think it does another thing too. Is it's it's also setting the tone, you know, once again that it seems like there's just a shift in all 
perspective of government law enforcement that the only way to do anything meaningful in fighting crime is declare it a terrorist. Uh, even if you have to help make it a terrorist and kill a bunch of Americans in the process. Yes. This, go- this government, and the reason that I can see it that way for the benefit of our, of our audience is because once you realize that our government is actively acting against us, acting against our interests, and if you don't know that after COVID, they are absolutely on a different path than ours. They are, I think, they're thinking 50 years down the road where there are too many people who have been replaced by computers, AI, and robots, and they're, they're sitting around with no, with no job and, a, you know, by their measure, no real co- contributive value to, to warrant their taking up uh, uh, the precious resources of Mother Earth and expelling greenhouse gases with their existence. So I think they're looking to cull the population. So they don't have any problem with an operation that leads to dead Americans as long as it opens up the door for them to bomb the cartels in Mexico and clear the path for the new North America. It sounds like you're comparing this to 9-11. <laughs> Wait, are you saying 9-11 was an inside job? <laughs> I'm not saying that, but I... Because we're brand would, unsafe now. That's why we don't have sponsorship, di- Jeremy. <laughs> but, it, but at this point, I wouldn't dispute it at all and i but for many years many many people made that suggestion that that it was it, it was if if it wasn't planned within the government it was still allowed to go on and happen in order to get the patriot act passed in order to get us to give up more rights as citizens and in order to pave the way for the war on terror in Iraq and Afghanistan. And you're essentially saying right now, the government's doing that same, you know, participating in the same behavior. Right, a fentanyl 9-11, basically. You're saying this is a fentanyl 9-11, that they're letting the, the fentanyl come in, kill people, in order to get people to make demands that they wouldn't ordinarily make. That's exactly what I'm saying. And I didn't, uh, for years, I thought the 9-11 conspiracy theories were insane craziness. And I still don't think Israel did it, but I do now reconsider my assumptions uh, for that. Given what happened with COVID, it realigned my entire perspective. Once you realize that the government is willing to kill you for its narrative, for its ends, you realize anything is possible. You begin to see things a little bit differently. But because yes, Jeremy, that is why know? we don't have any corporate sponsorship. We will never have corporate sponsorship. We have citizen sponsorship because we talk about things on this on this show that there's no way we would be considered brand safe. You can't you can't entertain the idea that 9/11 was a conspiracy or that uh or was an inside job or that the fentanyl issue is an inside job uh or that Donald Trump won the election. You can't say these things and have corporate sponsorship, you have to rely on your listeners. You have no even, other choice. Even even from Elon Musk? <laughs> it's a, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> it's only, maybe we can get him for a little bit. Unless he listens to the program and hears what we're saying about him, then then we will not if get support from Elon Musk. If he got behind our show, then we would know he's legit. <laughs> 
but that's why we're building a community. That's why we're building a community. And Jeremy, this is where I think we should, I think we should formally explain to the audience how we do things around here and ex- explain why we need everybody's help. We are building a community here to overcome the corporate sponsorship and the clamp that they have on uh, on our on people's language and on, on expression in this country. So what that requires, we we use something called the value for value system, and that means. Quite simply, if you like what you're hearing, if you like the show, if you like the work that we're doing, if you're receiving value from it, we ask you to return some value to the program so that we can keep this going. And there's lots of different ways that you can return value to this program. One of the ways that you can do that is by being, we call this, we call this being an active listener, share the show. Please share the show with somebody right now. That's the most critical thing you can do is share the show with your friends. If you think what we're doing is important and you think other people need to hear it, then become an active listener and share the program. And in fact, let us know that you're sharing the program. Write us at truth at truthbait.com and, and, and let us know that you're sharing the program and that you like the program. Also follow it, whatever platform you're listening on, If because we're now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, RSS.com, uh, Podcast Index. Truth in right uh and, amazon and we'll, we'll get it up everywhere at some point until um, they cancel us out of all of those <laughs> right and and uh you need you know follow us if you like it because that's going to also tell you when the new episodes come out um oh and, and another type is somebody uh, and make sure you rate it give it a good rating because those things yes. do help i mean I, I don't know how many times somebody has sent me a podcast or i come across a podcast you know, it's got one rating or something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I might not take it too seriously. Uh, so that definitely helps. And because everything is spread out on so many different platforms, it is really important to do it on the platform you, you listen to because that I don't think all that information crosses over. You're not going to get Spotify ratings crossing over to Apple ratings. So they you need to do it where you're participating at and in fact i think that you should follow the show on multiple apps and 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 give it multiple stars on every single app so that you can double up this is uh, very much like the way america votes you can vote more than once yeah so uh, the other and, the but other you don't need to register to vote no twice. you do not <laughs> we, just, will, we will you don't you need an many, id <laughs> as many ballots as you need no not only do you not need any id you can be completely anonymous we can give you a show name uh, the the other way, and this is also critical, is sending us ideas, sending us tips. Write us at truth at truthbait.com and tell us what you want us to cover. I've got people who are, oh, I had one, Jeremy, uh, uh, it was uh, Bev in Florida. Bev in Florida uh, wrote me to tell me she really wishes that we would talk about the fact that Iran put a, uh, a, a hit on a uh, on. President Trump, they they put a contract out on President Trump. They threatened his life, and it's been met with complete silence in the media. Nobody's asked other presidents to to comment on it. You've got you got Clinton, you could go to. You got Obama, you could go to. You could you got Biden, you could go to. No, nobody's talking about it. Bev in Florida is extremely upset about that, and she wants to hear something about that. And Bev in Florida, tune into the next episode. I, I, you asking you? I'll tell you, you something receive. about it right now. I'll What's tell that? you something about it right now. What if they had come out and threatened to go after Obama? Oh, 
We'd be or bombing Biden them right now. Or even Bush. That would be huge. Well, Bush would be news. news, but 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 if they did it to Obama, we would be bombing them right now. Well, we would definitely be bombing them with narrative warfare. And we would be drug into it here and it would we'd have a whole nother thing going on in the media right now that would get us ready to go to war at any minute with Iran. So I think that's that's the uh the interesting point right there is that it doesn't matter uh you know that they could threaten trump but it to me it also shows trump really is still like the protest vote he's just not part of their game right and they're still clearly they think he's the biggest threat in the mix because they're still going after him so uh, bev had other things to say do you want to hear what yeah she, what uh, she got she said i really like how you guys move the show on covering a lot of topics and your commentary is what needs to be said. Spot on. Interesting conversation. Thank you very much, Bev in Florida. You Thank are you, one of our producers for episode four. Yeah. I uh, also, I had uh, got a letter from Mike in Illinois. Um, Mike in Illinois said, I like this Marcus dude. Oh, I like Mike. Hey, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? I love the impressions through the podcast. Andrew is very entertaining, clear, and to the point. Um, you guys are much better from the first episode, more focused and smooth. Ooh, one day we should let them hear the real first episode. episode right. <laughs> episode point, point one. Episode point one. <laughs> You would not come back to listen again. <laughs> <laughs> we recorded nine rehearsal episodes that we never aired. We never posted them anywhere. When you're listening to episode one, in reality, that's episode 10, but it's episode one because it's the first one we distributed. The first nine, maybe one day. If if this show hits episode 100, we should we should start releasing episode point one. Yeah, we called episode point one, point two, point three, all the way up to point nine. So our tenth recording is the episode one that you see listed on your favorite podcast player. But uh, that was Mike in Illinois. Thank you, thank you, Mike. Mike. Uh, we appreciate that, and it is nice to hear uh, some positive. Uh, comments especially the first couple episodes we were hearing about how dull and lame i was <laughs> I, now, and, you didn't uh, mike I didn't stammered. call me I had a lot out of stammering. here but it's almost like passive aggressiveness it's like you know andrew's great andrew <laughs> no, wait a andrew's second. very entertaining and clear i like this Marcus no no dude, this was but what am i chop liver mike no, this was this was the cut the comment i was getting was that i sounded like george soros <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, I'm trying to come up with my idea formulating a thought. Uh, Just so everybody knows, something we discuss prior to hitting record on each of these episodes is, let's try to keep the tempo moving today. Let's try to get it up. Let's try to keep it going faster and have more energy. So I hope we're, I've written down on my notepad in all caps, energy. Oh, I've got a list too. And I hope that is actually helping things uh, to move. Jeremy, your energy in a faster is amazing. I think your energy is fabulous. I, I had sixteen cups of coffee this morning, <laughs> I, and I, I have to say, I love the criticism. I almost love the criticism more than the praise because the criticism really helps us improve 
this show helps us improve what we are doing. Uh, the praise also helps too, because that helps us make sure that we give you uh, the kind of content and programming that you are actually enjoying. Uh, and you, it just boosts our egos. Let's be <laughs> well, honest. You are producers of this program, and we mean that. You're not just audience members. You have the ability to write us. Write us a truth at truthbait.com and, and tell us what you want to hear. We're going to respond to Bev in Florida. On the next episode, there's going to be more about that death threat that was issued to President Trump. And that's how this works. You're helping us produce this show. That's the benefit of the fact that we don't take corporate sponsorship. We don't work for these other corporations. We work for you. In addition to that, in addition to that, um, don't be afraid to do some research and help us out. Preparing for this show takes a lot of time. And that's what I was kind of pointing out earlier, talking about Andrew, you know, watching through that Senate hearing and stuff like it it takes a lot of time to pull the clips and get them ready, get the audio levels right so that you can hear them uh, so that you could even hear them on your bicycle speakers when you're out exercising and uh, not have any technical glitches. There's a lot involved in it. And we run out of time. So if you're able to, you know, scan some of this stuff out, even prepare, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we should look into or really point us in the right direction. Don't just say, Hey, go look into this topic, but actually, uh, find some sources for us. You're definitely going to get producer credit for that. And that's extremely helpful because we, we don't see every story. And uh, that that's a that would be a huge uh, bonus. I've got one more uh, one more active listener here, oh. producer. Um, wow, that's we are so we had one, and then I think in the last episode we had two, and now we've got three. This is which is what I predicted last uh-huh. time. I said by episode four we should have three, and we do. We have now John from Indiana. I listened to the podcast tonight, and found it very entertaining and informative. Jeremy meshes well with Andrew with flowing banter. The segment about the Goyam Defense League was very well done, as well as the part about Vivek. Vivek? Vivek. Vivek or Vivek? It's probably Vivek. Okay, Vivek Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy. He's running for president. Uh, He says, especially the part about Vivek Ramaswamy as the new Obama. Mm, right. We really need to crank up our research on him as he seems filled with platitudes, more platitudes than substance. Um, yes, please crank up that research and send us what he you seems find. too slick on the marketing side, yep. and I've yet to hear anything of real quantifiable substance. Uh, John, that is interesting. Uh, we agree. And uh, please, by all means, if you come up with anything, send it to us. Uh, we also appreciate the compliments. I think he's had uh, substance. He's substantively been marketing his fund. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, now an email. I just saw an email that came out where he's asking for $1. He said, I don't need more than $1. So it's a total Obama campaign. It, it, it is amazing how similar a, it is. They're run by a, the same people. It's the same yeah. CIA. It's also a, 
it's so off-putting to me now at this point. They, the, it's it's like a form of virtue signaling with them. Like one dollar is enough, but to me, it's like you rich billionaire taking p- people's poor people's last dollar, right? Duping to fund your corrupt campaign. Uh, so if you're a billionaire, was, you can fund your own your own campaign, and why don't you? Although I, I guess no, you do need you do want popular buy-in. You know, let right. me take, let, me, let me let me take this side for I just agree a second. To that. And you can show your your level of support. It's it's not just you're not just buying the support. You can actually give numbers and say, look, we've got you know a hundred thousand donors, uh, and that's 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 important actually when you're trying to gain momentum. And it gets people committed. If somebody gives one dollar to a candidate, they're probably far more inclined. Uh, to vote for them or support them later or take a further action, which yeah. would be great if somebody wanted to give us a dollar. That's exactly right. <laughs> we don't, we don't. Oh, okay. So but we I need actually, more than a dollar. Vivek's plan isn't going to work for us until we get millions of listeners giving a dollar. <laughs> I, uh, I pulled up on, on our RSS.com where we host the podcast i turned on the what's called alby and alby for if you're on a podcast 2.0 app listening to this uh and there are a number of them pod versus one i think it's podcastapps.com is where you can go find uh, a list of apps that work for podcasting 2.0 and on that and by the way podcasting 2.0 is the future you will be on a podcasting 2.0 app uh, even if it's just Apple becomes uh, Podcast 2.0 because there is so much more functionality built in. It's being designed by Adam Curry, who was one of the co-inventors of podcasting in the first place. So uh, it's going to be very robust. But one of the cool things about it is it has a donate button on there, which right now all there is is the Albi uh, donating button. And it, uh, it's a way to send Bitcoin, apparently. And I got to be honest don't entirely know how it works yet because I'm an old person. If there are any young people out there in the audience who understand Bitcoin and want to become a producer to help us manage that end of it, that would be fabulous. Soon we will have a donate button that allows you to donate the old-fashioned way uh, via credit card. We will also be having a post office box where you'll be able to send us the even more old-fashioned analog uh, uh, checks or, you know, frankly, if you want to send cash, I don't advise it, but feel free. Cashier's check is probably better. Uh, but yes, we need financial support to help do this because in addition to the other kinds of support we were talking about, it costs money. We have to we have to pay for accounts to host the the, the service. We have uh, a whole bunch of different uh, sound effects. You you heard the the distraction of the week sound effect. Distraction of the week. There's a equipment costs licensing fees we pay people to tell us they love the show they're just hilarious great show good show show. (laughs) my favorite show and it, well, you it, didn't pay the people. You didn't pay those people to say it. Well, we paid whoever paid those people. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But they loved the show. And be, right, rightfully so. We were stupid. Stupid. Makes me laugh. All right. That's enough of that. <laughs> and but it's these okay. Cost if the money. show doesn't make you smarter, but just entertains you, that's okay, too. Uh 
<laughs> yes, that's right. Our audience is already very smart. I don't, I, I, we're not making them well, smarter I mean. as much I as we're opening we're up their up eyes. Yeah, well, you I know, think it's just... Uh, well, I think we're helping things, them look at things differently, right? I'm sorry, look like you were saying. Look at things differently. Take a different perspective on things. And uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely no geniuses here. But uh, we're very good at in, the few things we do know. Uh, but we, we this we've is, seen so much lying and deception in real life, in real time, on the street, in in the form of street protest and mass movement, and how they coordinate with media and with law enforcement and with elected officials, and that's kind of a picture of how it works from the top down. It it all functions the same way. It's a it's a prison system. It's so many lies, Jeremy. I wish that there was some kind of a vaccine that I could take to protect myself from them. There is. What? It's coming out. Yeah. There's a vaccine a new, to protect me from the lies. There's a new vax evidently. Uh just last week at the Munich Security Conference. By, by the way, I hope everybody was impressed with how smooth that was. If, if it was smooth, we'll hear listening back. But am I not getting good at the transitions, Jeremy? That one worked. But at some point, we're going to have to stop. No, not at yet. At some point, we're going to no, have to stop yet. pointing it out. We're no. going to have to stop pointing that point, it out. That, that, has not, that time has not arrived yet. <laughs> I was going to point pen. it out that time, but it was so smooth that I didn't want to. Yeah, no, and then I you think, came in. You're like, look how good my transition. Yeah, no, look I, at my segue. I, I yes, you, that, you, I don't know if you can pick this up. That's me patting myself on the back. All right. Well, it, it was a great segue. <laughs> Go on. Segue. I'm sorry, I interrupted. So, the Munich Security Conference. Uh, they had a meeting in Munich, and they had a panel, which was called disinformation navigating the battle of narratives and i think that that's just interesting on its own that this is what they call the panel navigating the battle of narratives because as we've heard uh, from the very brilliant people over at Unconstrained Analytics and Stephen Coglin who's a great teacher on these types of subjects is that you know, we're experiencing and we're caught in the middle of narrative warfare. And narrative warfare is political warfare, and political warfare is warfare. And the narratives that we're being subjected to and that we're participating in are an actual form of warfare. It is a form of long range fire that we are having to deal with. And it's very hard to get out of that paradigm. Uh, and and combat it. Anyway, I have a couple of clips from that. Uh, the participants in the panel were Jay Lepovsky, a minister of foreign affairs from the Czech Republic, Baiba Braze, assistant secretary general for public diplomacy from NATO, uh, Falumzi Van Dam. Counter electoral disinformation and platform accountability specialist. So she's a platform accountability specialist. Um, so she's a censor. Right. Former member of National Assembly of Parliament of the Republic of South Africa and a Munich Young 
leader, and it is moderated by anchor at large, Deutschwell News. I just want to Sarah say, Sarah Kelly. They sound like it sounds like the epicenter of freedom, where all these people are coming from. <laughs> these are epicenters yeah. of freedom. The and to and then the, of course the one that is most interesting, who I have clipped. Uh, a couple of comments from Kent Walker, president for global affairs of Google, also a member of the Security Innovation Board and the Munich Security Conference. Here we have them on their panel. One of the major conduits of online disinformation and misinformation worldwide. What do you think it is? One of the major conduits it's of Jim Hoff's gateway pundit. It's not. <laughs> huh. it, is it Twitter? Is it Elon Musk's Twitter? No. This is a total setup here. It's the United States government. No, this is a total setup here. Listen. Is YouTube. <laughs> they said. <laughs> we better I agree. Cr- they got to crack down on YouTube. I agree. That it is not addressing the problem. Fair criticism? I think we're making dramatic. So this is the, the guy from Google. Dramatic strides in improving the quality of the content online. Uh, Google search and Google news are antidotes to fake news in most cases. Google search is an antidote to fake news. So we are continuing to progress that. We recognize, particularly in a war situation, the old- War situation. So he's, he's saying war situation here. Right, you have this to have term- that kind of crisis in order to, to get the kind of change you want to get, to get people I, on board. They have to be terrified. I just think it's interesting because they're using terminology here that really goes along with that argument about narrative warfare and what we are involved in. The line is that truth is the first casualty of war. There will be more and more efforts to try and spread disinformation on all platforms. It's one of the reasons why very quickly after the invasion, we removed RT and other platforms. We actually saw them moving from Europe and the United States into Africa. Uh, we did this on a global basis, however. We have now removed thousands of channels from YouTube and tens of thousands of videos that are conveying disinformation. Yeah, Jeremy, you're absolutely right. Thousands thousands and he uh goes on and talks about that they have 20 to 30,000 employees dedicated to doing these specific Wait, why uh, do you need to do that actions. if you have AI? Why do you need 20 it, to 30,000 employees? That's in addition. That's in addition. He <laughs> does say that's in addition to AI. Here's a little bit more. Legislators are sounding the alarm. Where are the safeguards? So let, let me start by responding very quickly to a prior panelist and then come back to this question. I very much share the notion of platforms having a, a shared responsibility with governments. In a- platforms have a shared responsibility with governments. So that's getting into the Section 230 stuff we were just hearing about. Addressing this, this problem. So, for example, in Czechia as well as uh, Slovakia. Where's Czechia? Have you heard of Czechia? Uh, no. He just mentioned Czechia. Poland, uh, and soon in Germany, we have launched something called pre-bunking, which is trying to work together to make people more resilient against the risk of fake news, disinformation, things like overly emotional uh, pitches or one-sided presentations. So they're going to help me. emotional pitches. They're going to help me build up. Presentations. Uh, they're going to help me build up bunk antibodies. It's pre-bunking, and it's going to help 
protect you against one-sidedness. <laughs> Wait a second. They're the ones who are one-sided. They're the ones size canceling everything. They it's only allow one news. side. Yeah, listen. News, disinformation, things like overly emotional uh, pitches or one-sided presentations. Overly emotional pitches or one-sided presentations. You need to watch out for that kind of stuff. Like your instructions that we give you that inform you that you must lock down in place and isolate and stand six feet apart. Those aren't one-sided at all. So I found uh, some coverage of this also Wait, from... Wait, I don't want to glance over the excellent point you made, Jeremy. Well, you... that's fine. Yeah, I figured you'd let me speak. The 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 The... They are using the terms of of warfare when they're discussing this. And that's how you can know that this concept that we are involved in warfare is absolutely true. They're confirming it. Absolutely. It's a form of warfare. It is Marxist. It is the Marxist dialectical attack. And it is using narrative warfare basically to trap us in positions of arguing in a battlefield that they want us arguing in. And as long as we're arguing within that battlefield and using their terms, they define the battle and we basically have no way out of it. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting that that was the name of their panel. It really confirms uh, the presentations by Unconstrained Analytics. And that's a great source for people to look at if they want to get their mind a little bit sharper on these issues but you have to you know be ready to absorb a lot of information that you're not used to hearing and it can be confusing and notice um, that what they do is they set up the pretext that there is a crisis and that there is the, the the real pretext that they're setting up is that there is this organic pressure on youtube to do something about it yeah i guarantee you i bet youtube sponsored this i bet google sponsored this right I they didn't see who the sponsors. I bet you they sponsored this because this is what they need in order to implement the draconian changes that they want to make to make it even more draconian than YouTube already is. So they need to be able to say, well, we received pressure. So that you, people need to understand that when they see these events, this is all contrived. The, oh, the, totally. The outcome is already determined. What you're looking at is the is the is a performance. Right. So. I found a Euro News piece covering this uh, also. Uh, not, I don't know if they covered the actual Munich Security Conference, but they covered Google's announcement of this new pre-bunking tool or initiative, and I found it to be quite fascinating, the metaphor that uh, this guy uses to explain what it is. In the battle against disinformation, Google is launching a new campaign across all of Europe. The tech giant wants to release short videos highlighting the mechanisms common to many misleading claims. By the way, she just reinforced the narrative, okay, the battle against disinformation. The videos will appear as advertisements on platforms like Facebook, YouTube or TikTok. Google wants to use a technique called pre-bunking. But what exactly does that mean? We asked the question to Sandra van der Linden, a social psychologist at Cambridge University. Pre-bunking is the opposite of debunking. So it's a preemptive technique based on the idea of psychological inoculation. So just 
psychological inoculation. Just as vaccines expose people to a weakened dose of a virus to try to trigger their production of antibodies to help prevent future infection, it works the same with pre-bunking. You preemptively try to refute a future falsehood or the techniques that are used to do people online so that people can build up cognitive or mental antibodies so that when they actually come across it in the future, they're partly immune. You know, be great as uh, if pre-bunking Jeremy, does. Can he read that? Can he say that with like a really thick German accent? Yeah, you are going to be psychologically inoculated. We will protect you from all of the false disinformation out there. We are going to inject your brain. Would false disinformation be correct information or disinformation? Does the false change it? <laughs> Since it's false dis. False disinformation. False disinformation. Right. That would be that would be good information. It would be that something could. that was claimed to be disinformation, but is not disinformation. Basically, everything we say. I'm getting confused. Let's listen to <laughs> a little bit more. Uh, pre-bunking does have some downfalls, according to Sander van der Linden. You don't say. <laughs> pre-bunking has some downfalls <laughs> yeah like stirring an angry mob with pitchforks to come after you right sometimes i worry that social media companies see this as an excuse not to take down content or not to pursue regulation because they're saying look we can empower people and pre-bunk everything um which you know which which is great but you know it's one tool in the toolbox it shouldn't be the case that that becomes a replacement for taking down uh harmful content uh, or implementing measures that improve the algorithm or change the incentives on social media. So it's a great thing. It's a great thing, but it's not enough. It doesn't, <laughs> it shouldn't eliminate still taking down the content and uh, also having more regulatory measures. Don't you think the best place. way to pre-bunk something is to find the people who are the uh, the known troublemakers and just line them up against a wall and you know, pre-execute them? Um, YouTube has actually implemented a form of this pre-bunking already. He said he, they have pre-bunking. They just launched it in Europe and some of these Eastern European countries. But there's something on YouTube right now that you could look at. It's called Hit Pause. And this is sort of their, YouTube's own uh, channel. And it's, it's basically encouraging uh, people uh, to hit pause when they see something and think about it more uh, and... And he claims uh, in this meeting at the uh, Munich Security Conference that it's also been very successful in changing the way people behave online. Ooh, so, already? It's already yeah. been successful. How have we been changed already? It looks like it started five months ago. It's YouTube production here. How YouTube tackles YouTube misinformation. And that openness creates opportunities for people around the world to learn something new, build a business, and find community. It also enables new and diverse voices to break through every day. So with billions of people visiting us every day, whether they're looking for information about their health, wanting to catch up on the latest news, or simply hoping to learn more about the topics that interest them, 
we have a responsibility to increase access to good information while decreasing the bad. To make sure that we're doing that, we tackle misinformation on our platform based on what we call four R's of responsibility. We remove the most harmful content that violates our policies. We reduce recommendations of borderline content. We raise up authoritative sources for news and information. And we reward trusted creators and artists. You can learn more about how we enforce our policies in a separate video. But the bottom line is that we aim to enforce our community guidelines consistently using a combination of machine learning systems, content reviewers, and user reports to detect, review, and remove content that crosses the line. It so sounds like a really lovely future. Yeah, so that's what they're they're doing and they've already started it with their hit pause program on YouTube. Um, and I guess uh, maybe they're worried the hit pause program isn't going to work well enough. So pre-bunking, your, uh, you're going to get your mental vaccination from YouTube to Fantastic. psychologically inoculate you against disinformation. It would be cool, though, if they came up with something that actually did psychologically inoculate people from real disinformation, like the vaccine is safe and effective. Well, that I think that vaccine is just common sense. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that might be the, that might be the inoculation is, 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 you know, deciding things for yourself, not just following the government. I'll tell you what I think the biggest, the best answer for everything you just described here, Jeremy, use the brave browser, everybody. Go to Brave. You don't need to use Google and you don't need to use YouTube. You can go to Rumble. Uh, you know, I do still go to YouTube to find some things for this show. But uh, if you want to find alternative voices, there are alternative platforms. You do not need to exist uh, under the under big tech's thumb uh, in this way. It only works because everybody buys into it. I think those are only a limited period of time, uh, you know, solution. Well, maybe, but. Uh, people need to think about the fact that they're not required to use these tools. All right. Uh, uh, do you have any more on that? No, that was it. Okay. I want to, I want to move on. Cause we still have a lot. We still have a lot to cover and I'm going to try and get through this very quickly. Uh, the next story I have is uh, good morning. America produced this really beautiful little piece of propaganda out of the Chicago auto show. And I clipped this because, you know, this should give people a really good idea of, of, just how far down the road we are of this uh, electric scam and, and where it's going. Uh, this is from ABC News. Good morning, America. This morning, electric vehicles taking center stage at North America's biggest display of horsepower, the Chicago Auto Show. I think the biggest angst that people have is when I'm out in the public, where do I go charge? It's an issue so big, it was one of the president's major points at the State of the Union this week. We're going to build 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations installed across the country. And the auto industry is betting on that. Yes, they are. The industries are placing all of their bets on all of the big money that came from the Inflation Act, which was really the Green New Deal, and it's going to fund all of this. Here at the auto show, it's trucks that are grabbing much of the attention from that Ford favorite F-150 now going electric to the Ram 1500 Rev going into production next year. If trucks aren't electric, this idea of getting America to be electric, not going to happen. I, I, and I think it's, it's really important because what we found out is that trucks still need to do truck things. Ram will differentiate
differentiate itself by having a fuller portfolio of electrified solutions to better meet those real world needs. Oh, so I see. The way that they're going to get these electric trucks to do real truck things is to just have them have more electric trucks. Okay. The biggest concern from drivers, he says, is range, like going on that great American road trip. When you think of so many American families, the truck is a part of their story. Well, it's no longer taboo to have a full-size pickup truck as your everyday driver. I still need to tow and haul and do truck things. So important. So how well do these uh, pickups do for doing pickup stuff? Not not very well, Jeremy. Uh, here's a report from YouTuber Hoovy's Garage, where he tests an electric pickup by towing a trailer, an empty trailer, 35 miles, and then he loads it with an antique Ford Model T and brings it back 35 miles. Uh, and the empty trailer, was it was already a problem before he loaded anything. The empty trailer cut his mileage in half. I am EV towing. EV towing. The lightning pickup truck is towing back the two Fords over there. How's it doing so far? Uh, it's not good. It's used over 70 miles to go here, which is about 35. So it's used twice the power. With an empty trailer. With an empty trailer. An aluminum trailer. Aluminum trailer. It shouldn't even feel it. It's like 1,400 pounds. So there are there it is, the electric trucks doing those truck things. Uh, and then Hoovy uh, loaded up the truck... Uh, and and took it back 35 uh, more miles. Are you kidding me? That's almost 90 miles of range in 30 miles? Are you serious? That's nuts! <laughs> what a joke! So with a load on, it cut his range by two-thirds. So wow. he tried to go 35 miles in one direction, 35 miles in another direction, and barely made it home. Wow. Yep. So they don't work. <laughs> they're not there yet. Uh, until there's some miracle with, with batteries, I don't know how they're going to make this work. It, it, you know, the, the car can work. A pickup truck like this can work if you just drive it in town and you don't do pickup things with it. If you just use it for your regular car, then I bet it's probably functional. Uh, but the moment you try to do anything actual pick up with it so it's great for people in the city i guess uh but but listen this is not going to deter anything jeremy get in get in on the action get in on the subsidies what about the price of the actual vehicle electric vehicles they can be quite expensive what we're seeing is you know they're in the upwards of sixty thousand dollars on average but there are incentives of course through the federal government also through some states to help lessen the cost there and that's exactly why you want to be thinking about tax credits, because you could be eligible for thousands of dollars in tax credits. Just make sure that when you're filling out that tax return, you actually sign the other form that talks exclusively about electric vehicles. So make sure that you submit that. But hey, guys, it's not just new cars, because you may be eligible for a tax credit even with a used EV. So make sure that you do your homework on that. They're giving the money to everybody. Who are they talking to there? They're, well, they want this is they want everybody to buy electric and uh, and, and declare it on your taxes. Just wait until you're on the list of people who didn't get the electric. I thought that's wrong and immoral not to pay your fair share. Your <laughs> yeah, <taxes>. right, <laughs> right. No, you have to pay your fair share so it can be given away. So they yeah, don't no. work. Why is the media and the industry pushing for this? 
And it's the same answer as always, Jeremy. It's money. It's the 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 subsidy bonanza. And think about it. The car companies take in all this money from the sales because of the subsidies. They then turn around and spend that money on Super Bowl ads and other high-profile television mainstream media-related events, which they then turn around and produce propaganda to help the car companies get the business. It is a very uh, incestual uh, relationship and self-feeding. It's disgusting, but that's what's happening. And they're all jumping on board. Might as well go. Grab it. Might as well. It's where it's going. Did you go to the auto show? No. <laughs> do do you ever go to the auto? I used to go to that. Years ago I used to. It was so it was such a crowded circus that I couldn't take it anymore. And then everything turned into propaganda world anyways. And I was like I don't, I, is it still as crowded as it used to be? I doubt it. Nothing in Chicago is as crowded as it used to be. So I, and I haven't seen any reports coming out of it, but clearly they don't care what the customer wants. They're just educating you to what you're going to get. Right. So why because would you I don't want it. I don't want electric. I don't, I had an electric golf cart at my property for a, a period of time. That was my father-in-law's and we were using it and we would take it around, you know, and, and drive around with the kids and then. Almost every time we took it out, we would get stuck because the battery would die and you had to push it up the driveway again. You couldn't just go grab a can of gas and fill it. Right. Like the lawnmower runs out. I go grab a can of gas and fill it. I've run out of gas on the road before. And it's a lot easier to get out of that jam <laughs> if it's gas. Yeah, somebody could bring you a can of gas. pick you up, right. I mean, it's really easy to deal with that problem. You just put the gas back in the car. A gallon of gas will get you to the next gas station, and you go. In fact, I bet that you can you can if you if you run out of gas on the middle in the middle of the road, I bet that you can get your way to a gas station, fill up a, a, a travel can, get it back to your car, fill it up, and be on the road faster than somebody who's just driving with an electric car pulls over to a charger and charges their car. This kind of gives me an idea for like a new sort of uber service like emergency <laughs> yes. car Electric battery stranded. yeah <laughs> Emer- emergency car battery you could just people could be driving around with extra batteries in their car <laughs> well they do actually and, there are designs for electric cars where you pull into a, like what is a filling station and they pull out your battery and give you a different one that's charged that actually is not a bad approach so like a trading system, yes, you just the only drop problem your is, battery off, they give you a new one? Yeah, the only problem, though, is that all of the contents of that battery were mined by slave labor children in Africa. So I guess- Hold on, you know. hold on. <laughs> <laughs> that's too real. Don't take, that's too real. We can't talk about stuff like that. Uh, yeah, so- uh, uh, It's a scam, and you're paying for it, so you might as well go get one because you're paying for it. Oh, yeah. No, I don't want one. I'm looking for like a 1970s pickup truck. Yeah, but they're going to make it so you can't drive it. You think that you're going to be able to get around this, and you're not. By the time it gets like that, you're going to be willing to drive it and break the law because it's going to be road warrior out there. No, but you're not going to find the gas for it. You're not going to find anybody who's going to be able to service it. They'll just, they'll start to break down and go to the scrapyard. Be able to trade eggs for gas. I, I'm telling you, I think that this government has shown when it wants to do something, it's going to do it. And we all 
or, or we can protest, but it's going the way it's going. Yeah. It's not pretty. Uh, I, I know we're going long. Do, do you, do you want to hear about Bill? I've got a piece about Bill Maher. Bill Maher, uh, had an appearance on CNN and this appearance so perfectly demonstrates you know, the narrative game that this guy plays. Do you, do you want to hear it? Yeah, Bill um, Maher is generally like open comms for the left. And Usually does it in a way that out, tricks the right. Yeah, and he comes out and says things like you would if, if it all of a sudden became okay to say uh, the, the Wuhan flu came from the Wuhan lab, then it's, that means it's okay for the left to start accepting that in the narrative and in the dialectic. What do you got? Well, so Bill Maher... Uh, was on CNN. Uh, this is from CNN's website. In an exclusive hour-long sit-down, with and I like to put on a like a broadcast voice when I'm reading something, so that people can differentiate. This is not my opinion. I'm reading. No, in that a, was good. In an exclusive hour-long sit-down with CNN's Jake Tapper that aired Tuesday night, comedian and political commentator Bill Maher discussed a range of topics, including Donald Trump, the 2024 presidential election, transgender issues, and the best weed he's ever had. So that's from CNN. They're boasting about that. The best weed he's ever had. Thank you, CNN. Great. Yeah, that's um, a nice promo. Yeah, so I don't include any of that, but I do have, this is, what he does here, re, I call this the Bill Maher shell game. And let's, 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 let's take a look at the Bill Maher shell game. How do you define wokeness? Because I hear people use the term all the time, and it means something different to, to everybody. Well, I- How do you define wokeness? And this is their, they're giving Bill Maher the opportunity right now to sound like he's been red-pilled. How do you define wokeness? Because I hear people use the term all the time, and it means something different to, to everybody. Well, again, I think it's this collection of ideas that uh, are not building on liberalism, but very often undoing it. I mean, five years ago, I don't, Abraham Lincoln was not a controversial figure among liberals. We liked him. Now they take his name off schools and tear down his statues. Really? Lincoln isn't good enough for you? Can you pause um, that? You know, five, ten. Yes. Right there, what he just said, that's open comms. That's telling Explain. everybody. That's telling everybody out there who's fighting against Abraham Lincoln and the story that Abraham Lincoln was a hero to cool it. You're pushing Ah, too hard. You're pushing too hard. This is the kind of thing that gives up our game. This is the kind of thing that gives up our our gains in the warfare, in the battleground. Okay? That's exactly how that works right there. And there's more more of it, too. He being the – yeah, he being the champion of the left – and this is how people need to look at when they see Bill well, the Maher older come left. out. The older left, right. not the new left. He, he's, right. he's the champion of the establishment left, and there's a, there's a difference. Yeah, so this is – people can understand when you start to hear somebody that is a generally a rabid leftist start to say things that are reasonable and make sense. This is open comms. This is telling all the crazies out there, cool it, tone it back a little bit. Yeah, but see, I think it's also telling the – People in the middle, hey, we're not all nuts over here. You know, I'm high profile totally. and I'm against this. So it's still safe for you to be on the left. And we usually fall for it. We usually are like, oh, yeah, Bill Maher, you know, like right. the things are getting more normal again. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's right. You, th- you it, it, And that's the shell game. That's the shell game. Hang on, check this out. Ten years ago, 
bedrock liberalism was we are striving to be a colorblind society where we don't see race. Um, of course, we see it, but it doesn't matter. That's not what woke is. Woke is something very different. It's, it's identity. It's, we see it all the time. It's always the most important thing. I don't think that's liberalism. Okay, so now you've heard of the shell game, right? You know, where you have the ball under the shell. It's like three shells, and you have the ball, or, you know, they, or it's yeah, cups. Like three-card molly. Yeah. Uh, and the person running the game shows you where the ball is, and then he shuffles the ball around under the shells, and you're left to try and guess where, where the ball is. And you always think you know where the ball is. And this game is even more complicated because you, you, you think you know what the ball is is <laughs> but you don't you don't know you don't know what the ball is here he goes even further to draw you in making you think the ball is his red pill that he's been red pilled but i get every year when we are looking for maybe we want new writers on our show uh, i love the writers i have but you yeah. know what i'm running a business here right i'm sorry it's it's brutal but if i can find somebody better that's what i'm doing i always serve the show first so every year i read these packets of proposed writers, and I read them this year as I do every year, and it's just stunning how uniform their their point of view are. And it always it hasn't always been that way. Exact. I don't remember, but I don't think it was ever quite this bad. It's the exact same point of view on every single issue, and it's very predictable. I have a relationship with people who want to hear what I think is the truth, and, and I'm going to present both sides, uh, and they may not be fair and balanced. They may not be equal weight put to each side because that's not what the truth is the truth isn't always 50 50 right um so um i live with that but it's 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 it gets more difficult because we're so tribal now so he's been red billed as you might think and now he's also the arbiter of truth i don't think so right <laughs> the, here's the thing <laughs> The, the the little the little ball he's hiding is not a red pill. <laughs> the, the little ball he's hiding is his blue pill, and he's hiding it from you. What's interesting about this is because this comes after you know five six years of of Trump, where it's not like you pulled punches against him at all. No, nobody was harder <laughs> on that man. I don't think, and uh, honestly, nobody was more had their hair on fire about what was going to happen. And now they get into all of the predictive programming that they were doing. They they replay all of the programming he was doing in the lead up to stealing the election from Donald Trump. As far as him not believing in democracy and not wanting to leave. I don't think he's leaving. If Even if he loses the election in 2020, he could lose by a landslide in 2020. And I still think he would say it's rigged, fake news, deep state. If Trump loses the election in November, he's not going to leave. You were predicting that in 2018. Oh, oh 16. 16 years yeah, before he was even president. I said, he's this, not going to leave. Never going to leave. Loses, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, they were engineering that from the beginning. Right. He was he was giving the the messaging from very early on, but that Jeremy, was narrative building then, so that when it actually something happened, which they knew was going to happen, everybody was already stuck in it. Let's just think about this for just a second. He's what is he talking about? He is complaining about the group think, right? The group think of all the new writers that he wants to bring in. Yeah. Where's he doing that, Jeremy? On CNN. 
one of the biggest culprits of cultivating intolerant group think in this country. And what is he doing on CNN? The second after he complains about that, he reinforces the group think that they, that they built for years. Yeah, I think this is the binary retreat again, where he, where he, it sounds like he's withdrawing fire against you and sounding reasonable again. But as he's doing it, he's still reinforcing this way of thought, this, this wokeness as in, in the people who believe in it as correct and right. So they can get angry with him for a moment. But it's going to reinforce in their mind that they're correct and they're on the right side. So it's kind of a it's kind of a double edged sword right there. Right. Well, I mean, and it's very manipulative. And I think it's I'm very, very cynical. I'm a very cynical person. I've become cynical over the year (laughs) looking at looking at all this material. Um, So they've got the one motive where they're trying to shape narrative they're they're taking part in narrative warfare but then there's always the other reason that they're doing this and by the way uh, uh, two of the, you know they interview they then interview Jake Tapper you know for the for the full circle of of pushing this content they then interview Jake Tapper on the CNN morning show where Don Lemon is and uh, uh, his he and his co-hosts were none too pleased that they were even running any segment that would publicize Bill Maher, or at least that's what they want you to think. Maybe they're just cynical, too. Listen to this. Jake, good morning. Why'd you want to sit down with him? What's the most fascinating takeaway? Well, um, I, I, you know, I think he's uh, one of the preeminent political um, comedians in the country, if not the uh, the most. And obviously, uh, he works for uh, HBO Max, our sister channel. So it <laughs> seems like a great opportunity to sit down, pick his brain uh, about politics, about comedy, uh, about any number of things that he talks about on Friday nights on his show Real Time. <laughs> so... <laughs> Two plugs in there in one short it's an statement. Ad. <laughs> it's an ad. It's a native ad. That's all it is. Yeah. It's all it is. And they're both owned by Warner Brothers Discovery, which, by the way, has a big Chinese unit. They do a ton of business partnered. Partnered. It's not even just a unit. They are in a partnership with the CCP in a corporate entity in China to distribute their content there. So, yeah, please, please do tell more about the flaws in the American system and and the problems with the American system while you're making a bunch of money over in China. Give me a break. Yeah. Well, hopefully people (laughs) can look at it and look at Bill Maher a little more skeptically when it sounds like he's coming out and making sense. Because we love on the right, we love that red pill moment. It's a little bit of red meat for everybody again, that uh, we were right. And because this leftist now agrees, we're proven right. And in reality, it's still part of the game and you're still losing the battle. Yep. It's their game, everybody. It's their game. Uh, Do you want to hear... About you know we can move. I have this modern eugenics story about the 
the Democrat uh, in Massachusetts who <laughs> was talking. You know, we could play it because it's really fast. I could, uh, I'll play it. It's yeah, let's hear it. Modern eugenics. This is a uh, so Michael Hugo, the chair of the Framingham, Massachusetts Democratic Committee, said uh, essentially crisis pregnancy centers could m- misdiagnose a defect in a baby in the womb, leading to them being born and becoming a burden on school budgets. This is modern eugenics. Our fear is that if an unqualified sonographer uh, misdiagnoses a heart defect, an organ defect, spina bifida, or an encephalopathic defect, that becomes a very local issue because our school budget will have to absorb the cost of a child in, in special education, supplying lots and lots of special services to children uh, who were born with the defect. So it's our hope that this that the council tonight will pass this uh, this this ordinance. Jeremy, what's wrong with what he said? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, everybody does have to pay for these uh, for these burdensome children. How about they stop paying for it? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd like to see that because I mean, this is it's sick. It's it's really a sick way of thinking. Um, I mean, basically. So what's the ordinance that they're trying to pass? What does it do? Uh, it's It would be to uh, strengthen access to abortion, Jeremy. Yeah, right. Which is murder. And, you know, I've my youngest son is one years old. He has Down syndrome. And we were uh, confronted with an onslaught. Hold on. I'm writing Hugo an email about this. Hold on. <laughs> An onslaught of fear mongering of what we might be in for uh, to have a son with Down syndrome, and there's such a Did social you have stigma. To abort? It's so the pressure. Yes, the pressure doesn't come exactly as it seems. It's it's kind of the same way as a di- dialectical attack works because. You're in meeting with doctors and genetic counselors, and there's all these new things you have to take very seriously when you see that there's a a potential for your child being born with Down syndrome or some other type of, um, you know, abnormality, I guess you could call it. How Um, dare you? They call it defect, which, you know, as, as very strong believers in God, we don't believe they're defects. We believe God makes everybody exactly the way that he wants to make them for whatever reasons he has we trust his reasons are good and you're but you know my wife is in these meetings with these you know genetic counselors and doctors and they're the ones that say you should go on to do further genetic testing to confirm or not confirm whatever presence of difference there is in your child. And you should do this not because, you know, we're not suggesting that you uh, want to terminate. So right there, they're planting right. the seed. They put the word in there. That this is just normal that you might terminate, which is a, a fancy word for kill your baby. Right. Well, it's very progressive. Have. This is this is what eugenics was based on. The, the, the next step to this, Jeremy, would simply just be to determine who is allowed to procreate because that's how you would that's how you'd eliminate it but that's what the master race theory was right and this is something in iceland 
you know, they've gone now to having only two or three children a year born with Down syndrome every year because they do this testing and they just murder every single one of these children. But with regard to this, where, you know, they're worried about the burden on the community and the cost burden on the community. They're not worried about the cost burden on the community. They're never worried about the cost burden on anything. They spend millions and millions and millions of dollars in the school systems on total absolute waste. The school systems have professional athletic facilities that cost taxpayers millions and millions of dollars. And in this case, I would say, Let's act as as a parent of a child with Down syndrome. Let's get rid of the social aid and social benefit that the government claims to well, be providing. Well, hold on a second. Hang on a second, Jeremy. I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, th- there are plenty of people who have a who have a special needs child who absolutely cannot afford the the numerous services that are required at a but very young age. Uh, that may be, but you're stuck in a system of not great care that the government is providing. Yeah, but what do you do when you're? What do you say to a, a couple who live in poverty who don't have access to a community that can give them services? Do you just? Uh, sorry, kid. Too bad for you. It's better. You're better off this way. I don't. I'm not sure. I agree with what you're saying on that part. I think private care can be achieved. There's people who contribute and donate money all the time to these types of things. And I think it would happen more if it, if people were taxed less to do so. And it created an opportunity for people to actually get better private care than the government well, provides. Maybe, but that is definitely a debate we are not going to resolve now. Suffice to no. say, we both agree that this is, it's eugenics. Ex- this is modern But I'm eugenics. explaining how it works. In my community, I can't get private care because the only care that's there is government care. Nobody's going to so start you'd a prefer private no care. therapy business. You would prefer Nobody's, no care. I think if the government got out of it, that would open the door for private entities to create therapy companies that they could provide private services, but they don't do that no, right that's now not because true. They, they can't compete against the government. Those. There are plenty of those. There are tons of those. In the big cities, I live in a rural community. We can't get private care here. And you think that taking the government, has the a government monopoly out of on it, it is going gonna, is gonna to make care arrive for you? I think it would open the door for for competition that you can't compete against the government in these systems. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. What is vile is that your wife and you were pressured to abort your child. I've met your son. He's beautiful. And I'm really glad you uh, had God uh, by your side to guide you on that decision. Yeah. Oh, he's amazing. Another thing they want to do is create uh, genetic therapy to undo their defect with that they call it and yeah. i wouldn't change my son for a second yeah i you know yeah let's we'll, we'll take that up on, an, on another episode because that's an even deeper subject uh, and, and you know what we should as we are now rounding past the two-hour mark we should we should we should end uh head towards the ending on something positive and uplifting uh well wait it may not be positive it's definitely uplifting <laughs> It's, let's, let's, we're going to do something humorous here for the for the last segment. Uh, uh, you know, we had excellent news here in Chicago, so it would seem. 
I actually don't think it's as excellent as people think, but maybe baby step in the right direction. Mayor Lori Lightfoot lost her election uh, this last Tuesday. Right, the city of Chicago. Has, that was that was the sixteen people in Chicago that were happy about it. <laughs> well, no, so they they've now they're able to say, oh, all the problems in Chicago were her fault. She, you know, and she was an absolutely awful mayor and frankly a wretch of a human being. But I'm sorry, the problems here in Chicago were not entirely her making. They existed before she got here. They're going to exist after. The problem in this town is that it is a Marxist city. They chase their earners away. They are chasing the tax base away and uh, show absolutely no signs of self-reflection. All they did was uh, choose uh, uh, basically a way out to blame her. There's now going to be a runoff uh, between a uh, Chicago Teachers Union-backed candidate and uh, Paul Vallis, who is uh, ran the Chicago Public Schools for a time. So it's really a face-off between both sides of the school issue. There's going to be no improvement. Paul Vallis is not going to fix this city. There may be a little bit of improvement from a tiny, an uptick of, of optimism because she was just so awful. But fundamentally, nothing's going to change. This is still a socialist city. It's still Marxist. Um, and until that changes, until the people change their hearts, uh, nothing is going to change. It'll be one disaster after another. But hooray. Yeah. Hooray. I actually kind of wish the mayor had won because I think it's more honest. Uh, I think I think the, the city going over to Marxist light is is uh, an injustice towards honesty. Uh, but because there is no Marxist light, right? That's right. It's just they're they they're fooling themselves. Uh, they're, they're making themselves feel better about the terrible decisions that they're making. So, uh, but during her tenure as mayor, there there is somebody who will be forever connected to her and her legacy. Uh, people who live in Chicago uh, and and others, because a number of this guy's work, a number of pieces of this guy's work have gone viral. A gentleman by the name of William Kelly who is a local reporter in Chicago. He's been on the scene in Chicago for a very long time. Jeremy, you and I know uh, William Kelly. We've worked, uh, we've, we produced a story about William Kelly 12 years ago. I love Bill Kelly. He is uh, such a, 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 an interesting character. Uh, he, very unique. Very unique. He was the only newsroom, the only reporter in the newsroom, the only one. And the reason for that, I'll, I'll just explain this for people. Uh, I know you already understand this, Jeremy. Every other reporter in the newsroom at one of her press conferences, they belong to mainstream media. These are people who have you know worked a long time to gain the status that they've got. They are now on the inside. They're getting uh, they're they're carrying content from inside City Hall that gives them value. That keeps them on air. If they lose that access, they don't have value. They lose their jobs. So they're not going to do anything in the press room that is going to jeopardize their position. Position and their access. Well, Bill Kelly, William Kelly, he does not share that uh, that failing. <laughs> he doesn't have that. He's been around a long time. He is an outsider in local media. He's an outsider in local politics. He's run for office before, and that makes him fiercely independent. 
And he must have gotten, he got picked up by, uh, by Newsmax and uh, was in that press room uh, and just climbed deep inside Mayor Lightfoot's head and put on display for the entire world to see that Mayor Lightfoot was thinned skin and losing control. I've got a, a, just a few clips from William Kelly. I've, I've been in touch with him uh, since the mayor lost, and uh, hopefully I'm going to be getting together with him next week. And uh, I, I'm so curious to pick his brain as to what it was like in this press room. Listen to some of these clips. Oh, oh wait. First, do you, want to, do you want to hear the clip first, or do you want to hear uh, our report from 12 years ago, Jeremy? Oh, you have it? I do. Listen to this. This is such a great uh, window into your and my working relationship, even 12 years ago, and the way that we approached a topic and, and, and how we displayed it. Listen to this. I won't play the whole thing because it's a, it's a little bit on the longer side, but you, I'll play it. You tell me when to stop, okay? Right now on Founding Bloggers. Wait a second. Away, I do a show on WIND. No, you have to go away. What are you talking about? Don't tell me what to do. Let him finish or I'm going to deck you. I, really? Yeah. Would you be willing to make a comment no. on blocking the reporter from WIND, you and Jay Levine? Would you be willing to issue an apology to Bill Kelly from WIND Radio? Very nice to see you. No comments? Thursday, October 28th, 2010. Conservative radio host William Kelly has pressed second-degree assault charges against Chicago media icon Jay Levine. The charges stem from a confrontation Kelly found himself involved in while attempting to question Rahm Emanuel at the Chicago Columbus Day Parade. Do you have your residency situation? I'm with WIND Radio. I do a show on WIND. The other reporters are saying, you don't have the right to speak. You're not a real reporter. And he's saying, yeah, I am. I have a show on WIND. Why am I not? Why? And why does he need a show on WIND? He's there with a microphone. He's asking questions. He's as valid a reporter as anybody else. What are you talking about? Wait a second. I do a show on WIND. No, you have to go away. What are you talking about? Don't tell me what to do. How are you a fresh beginning if you're uh, the President Obama's uh, chief of staff. You will let him finish or I'm going to deck you. <laughs> that is reporter Jay Levine, <laughs> local a reporter. Chicago news icon. <laughs> icon. <laughs> turning around and declaring he's going to deck somebody <laughs> if he doesn't let Rahm Emanuel get his talking point out. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Are you his, are you his uh, press secretary? How about that? Jay Levine is... Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait. And William Kelly is just Fearless and tenacious. This is this is a dozen years ago. Yeah. Because of that threat, Levine now faces a summons to appear in court. And now the rebel pundit. <laughs> that was me. Now the rebel pundit comes in and just absolutely. Uh, you confront Jay Levine and you you dissemble the guy. Hang on. I was wondering if you had any regrets about your threats to William Kelly from WIND hey, Radio. It's nice to see you, and uh, I've got to cover an event here. So I'm just wondering if you if you had any regrets about threatening uh, Will nice Kelly from you. WIND Radio. I have an event that I have to cover, and I can't talk. Would you be willing to issue an apology to Bill Kelly from WIND Radio? Listen to you go, Jeremy. <laughs> Fearless and tenacious as well. That was amazing. That was a, that was a Bill Bill Clinton was in town for a union rally and uh i think he was stumping for uh that might have been a campaign event for Rahm Emanuel's reelection or else it, it was, was his first it was his first campaign yeah that's what that was okay so that 
So right. that's he was what saying, it was. Do you have your residency issues uh, straightened out because uh, yeah, Rob right. didn't live in the city when he started running? Yeah, and Bill Clinton was in, and it was a big, big event at one of those, I think the Palmer House Hilton downtown, and I saw Jay Levine over there. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to talk to him about attacking Bill Kelly. I love Bill Kelly. Bill Kelly's got a unique style. He's, I mean, he is an activist. He's an activist reporter, and that I think is okay. He's never just, you know, he's not, uh, he doesn't hide that, just like we don't hide that, right. uh, you know, that we all have opinions. And I would say he's a truth seeker. And basically, the entire Illinois establishment, left and right, despises him, I think, yep. because of his interest and dedication to seeking the truth and he is not somebody that will cover up for a corrupt republican or an establishment uh republican either but so it's exactly he, that marginalization that makes that possible the fact that they that they do consider him on the outside means he's got nothing to lose he doesn't he's not fearing the some loss of status inside this larger institution he's got nothing to lose that makes agree. good journalism Agree. Did you did you catch any of the clips that came out of the press room with Lori Lightfoot? I have seen a few oh. float by here and there over the last several years. I yeah. know that he was rellessly uh, trying to get questions in on her. If you and loved him, wasn't before, he banned? What didn't? Wasn't no, he banned well, from her press conference? This is why we have to talk to him. We have to ask him if, if what the process was there because at some point, I mean, she's clearly calling on him. Over and over and over again, I don't know if it's that she felt like, in a way, it made her look good to her constituency uh, in post-election, I guess, F-minus on that idea, uh, or if she was under some kind of pressure not to ignore them in the room. I, I don't quite understand it. There might have been a threat of lawsuit if she if she banned them. Uh, I don't know. But if you loved Bill Kelly before, you're really going to love Bill Kelly now. Listen to this. Many uh, residents in Chicago feel that you've lost control of the city. Uh, now it appears as though you've lost control of the Chicago City Council. Uh, do you owe an apology to the victims of violent crime, the thousands of unsolved shootings and murders and stabbings and random stabbings in, in the downtown and the south side and the north side and the west side? Do you owe, so, do you so, owe these people any so apology? Once, so once again, sir, I, I ask you to get your facts right. Um, and is that not the best question ever? <laughs> he tees up the entire narrative and premise and then asks the question. I mean, the question's almost incidental <laughs> compared to the tee up. <laughs> Crime is not out of control in our city. In fact, crime is on the decline. Okay, so crime is on the decline. I think that's a huge win for him to have gotten that comment out of her because, of course, crime was not on the decline, and it was very easy to confront her again on it. Listen to him. This is like the next week. Last week, I asked you about Chicago's out-of-control shootings and murders. You said that crime was down. That weekend, we had 70-plus shootings. Last night alone, we had 30-plus shootings. Do you still believe that crime in Chicago is down? So what you're saying is, hey, wait, there was a shooting someplace in our neighborhood. Yeah, there are shootings. But what we're seeing in the data is a year over year, month over month decline, and that is progress. Yes, sir. Comparing last night's 30-plus shootings to last year when we had an out-of-control race riot in which 
almost every member of the city of Chicago was, in fact, a victim. Of course, he's talking about the Black Lives Matter Antifa riots that destroyed the city, destroyed Mag Mile, marched through the neighborhoods, attacking businesses and scaring, terrifying people. He's right. Everyone in the city was a victim of that. Uh, seems to be uh, playing with those numbers just a little well, bit. We did not have race riots in our city last year. That's just wrong. And again, yeah, that's wrong. And it's incendiary. Now, I know that's what Newsmax likes to do, but I'm not going to let you take liberty with the facts. Not in front of me. You're not going to get away with that. I mean, that's just pure. That's that's entertainment. That's real journalism. uh, Yeah, she did have his... Uh, press credential revoked the press credentials for uh, many events and certain privileges for certain press come through the Chicago police department. And he filed a federal lawsuit against her and the Chicago police superintendent, David Brown, fearless and tenacious. That is William Kelly. And that's how he ended up being in that room. and, And with all this opportunity, that's unbelievable, Jeremy. We need yeah. to, we need, I, I can't wait to meet with him. We got to talk with him. So he, he never lets her off the hook. And of course, what does the, what does a left, what does a good leftist do when they're losing? What do they blame? He's white male. Well, racist. she's not blaming him. Well, yeah, I guess it's, in the back door, she's blaming him. She's, but yeah, she's blaming it's race. It's all racism. Thank you uh, yeah. were on Chicago tonight. You said that 99.9% of the criticism of you is because you're a black woman. Now, who else in journalism is going to confront one of these people when they make these claims? No one else in that room had the strength or fortitude or professionalism to confront the mayor on an outrageous claim that 99.9% of criticism of her is race-based. But so William Kelly right there to do the job that the mainstream media refuses to do. Do you yeah. honestly believe that considering so you're, you're, the way the city council, you're, 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 the city council of Chicago is obviously made you're, up of you're, many you're, black women who criticize you. Do you really believe that the criticism of you is 99.9% based on the fact that you're a black woman? You conflated the fact that there are members of color um, on the, on the, on the police, on the um, city council. Isn't her voice really hard to listen to? Yeah. It's gravelly, just in its natural state. And that somehow I don't have a right to say, as a black woman, as a as a lesbian, as a Beetlejuice, um, that I don't believe my belief that some of the criticism is based solely on the basis of my gender and my race. That's my personal. percent. That's my personal opinion, sir. You don't have a right to criticize my personal opinion. Yeah, actually, we all have the right to criticize your public opinion. Yeah, you're the mayor. <laughs> the the ninety nine point nine percent of criticism against you is uh, not valid. Is should be ignored because you're just you're a black woman and it's racist. Okay. I think. Uh... It was probably times like that. Uh, Bill Kelly's pressing her very well and very politely, actually. Professionally. Very professionally. I mean, he's asking her legitimate questions based on comments that she made. He's not using any type of innuendo or hyperbole. He's using facts. Right. Like when I called her Beetlejuice, he's not doing that. 
That's you know her response to him using facts is you don't get to use the facts, <laughs> right? You don't get to come here and use the facts. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? Who gets to use the facts? How dare you uh, question? How dare you confront me on the things I say that are proven wrong within uh, several days? How dare I you? Suppo- I <laughs> That's suppose- a trick you, you Newsmax people use. I suppose uh, his coverage and pressing of her probably had something to do with uh, negative uh, attention she garnered, and and she lost the election. Yeah, like I said, it. he he showed to the world how thin skinned and out of control she was. That that William Kelly, with some basic questions, was able to just make her unravel. Uh, I think absolutely harmed her. You're absolutely right. And Jeremy, not only did it make her unravel, it made the entire press team in that room, her her entire uh, media team, they unraveled too. They didn't know what to do with this guy. And they're constantly trying to control him. Listen to this. In this exchange, the guy is trying to, everybody, every, every other reporter has been able to hold the microphone when they're asking their question, but they won't let Bill Kelly hold the microphone during his question. And in fact, the guy hits him with the microphone uh, in, in an attempt to prevent him from holding the microphone. I was going to say, where's Jay Levine in these press <laughs> right, conferences? Exactly. He could tackle him and shove him through the glass. Uh, I, by the way, I don't hear anybody, I don't hear any other journalists in this newsroom sticking up for him or you know saying, what's going on here? There's no way you treat a member of the press because that's how outside of the system he is. They hate him. They hate that he, they, he makes them look incompetent because they are incompetent compared to him. William Kelly? Thank you. Um, I'm sorry. Okay. Why are you telling me? Because you can't behave. Anymore. You can't hold the microphone because you can't behave. <laughs> Treat him like a child. Excuse me. Don't hit me with the I microphone, okay? Not a, why? Sir, I mean, sir, just every hear, other reporter sir, just, held the microphone. Sir, can you please ask your every question? Every reporter held the microphone. I don't believe that that's correct, but go ahead. Every, I have it on camera. Every single reporter held the can microphone. Can you ask your question, sir? Just, why? Come on. Don't be, don't be a jerk. Just, just hand me the microphone. Do you have a question? Yes or no? I have a lot of questions. <laughs> uh, okay, so Mayor Lightfoot, every time I ask you about crime in Chicago, you say crime is down. Real Chicago. By the way, get ready for the best question setup ever. Everyone's know that that's not true, that crime is up. Violent sexual assault, it's on the news every day, up. Violent uh, carjackings every day, up. Hit and run. A hundred day hit and run of Chicagoans. Do you have a question, sir? Yes. The obvious question that I've been asked by real Chicagoans to ask you is, are you lying or are you incompetent? Thank you, William Kelly. Oh, is that the rest of the media? That's the rest of the media? Yeah, crickets. <laughs> I mean, if these were real news organizations, they every single night they would have been playing his his component. It was the most viral, most exciting thing to go down in the newsroom. They'd have platformed this guy if they were interested in moving numbers, but clearly they're not. They're really only interested in moving narrative. Yeah, he he is a he is one of a kind. You know where you're going to see Lori Lightfoot again? You know where she's going to come back? In the McDonald's drive-through. No, I'm sure she's going to be on the cover of Cosmo. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I mean, this poke out my thing, eyes if that's the case. This whole well, like, don't poke them out like hers are poked out. <laughs> I mean, they, they, this whole hers thing, are popped out. There's a difference. <laughs> it's like her whole loss. They're it's like they're so invested in her because of the immediate response to her loss now is that Chicago's the most racist city that has ever existed. And wait, they, the two candidates that won, one of them is an African American, the other one is Hispanic American. Yeah, but they went against the black woman, and so Chicago is just all of a sudden an unwoke hellhole of racism and misogyny and, uh, you know, discrimination. And it's like they're going so hard against it. They must have some other plans for her. Maybe she'll get a job in the White House. Ooh, that's not bad at all. She could be the next press secretary. Oh, and the Newsmax can put Bill Kelly in the in the White House press room. <gasps> nothing better than that. There's no oh, way they'll do that. that There's is no amazing. way they'll give her press secretary. Oh, we need that. They, they'll give her something, but they're not going to let everybody look at her every day. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody out there, please uh, write the White House and advocate for Lori Lightfoot to become the next press secretary. Oh, it would be great. Um, well, you know what that means. There it is. We have reached the end of another Truth Bait podcast. This is not a bad show today, Jeremy. I like it. I feel like I got baited. You were very high energy. Which is amazing because I hardly slept last night. I could. I was so excited about the show today that I woke up like a zombie, tired and just wanting to sleep. Well, you sounded good, and I don't think I'm. I don't think I mumbled a lot today. I don't think I stammered. I think you I'm never getting said, better. You never said. I don't know if if you said actually. I didn't. Catch I did. It. I said actually like three times. I also said I mean once. That's. You know what I mean? I mean. You should go back and bleep the act. You never said okay or okay, okay. Yeah, yep. so it's all like on you my broke list. That habit. I have a list. I have it hanging here. Stop saying go back ah. And, stop I'm gonna go back and clip you saying okay, so right. I can add it back into the show. Absolutely. Well, sometimes. no, you should have it as a sound drop, so every time it happens, yeah. I, I it, you know, it, it's the best way of sort of like reminding me, hey, stop saying that. Yeah, here's my list. Stop mumbling. Stop the MK. Stop I mean. Keep vocal energy up. I have a note here to always introduce you because in the early episode that was a struggle. <laughs> and I had a note to wait for you to introduce me so that I didn't step over your whole introduction to the show. <laughs> these, these little things. So we make it look getting easy. better. I hope we're getting better. That's right. I hope when we screw up, we're covering it up enough with funny banter that people can enjoy the screw up. And not hold it against us. Well, the feedback so far has been positive. On that, on that respect, we sound like we know what we're doing, even though we're still learning what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jeremy, thank you very much. Everybody, tune in every Tuesday and Friday, without fail, to the Truth Bait Podcast. Or to, to the, the best, best of, of our abilities. abilities. We <laughs> Sorry. are going to be here. Yeah, you didn't set it up right that time. You Sorry about that. Kind of that. We I, are going to be here. You're going to have to say, we are going to be here every Tuesday and Friday without fail. Say it. We are going to be here every Tuesday and Friday without fail. To the best of our ability. Indeed.
Nah, it didn't work now. It's got to come out naturally. Uh, write us at truth at truthbait.com. Tell us how we're doing. Give us ideas. Give us feedback. We love it. Uh, thank you to our executive producers. Our producers today. Who are our producers today, Jeremy? Uh, Mike in Illinois, John in Indiana, Bev in Florida. That's right. Thank oh, you. And uh, oh, did the cruise director chime in today? The cruise director from Arizona? I don't think she did. Nope. Nope. I didn't not today. Hear, no. All right. Well, she's busy listening. That's good. Big help. All right. Thank you, everybody. And now back into the sea of clickbait with you all. <laughs> <laughs>